Now you can play most all the video games you'd ever want to play. Introducing the Sears Cartridge Telegame System. Over 150 video games, all on cartridges. This cartridge of 27 target games is included. But you can get more cartridges that have tank games, space war games, blackjack, speedway. Over 150 video games so far. The Sears Cartridge Telegame System. Sold only at Sears. Discover a world beyond your wildest dreams. Discover Atari. Pioneers in coin video games like Centipede. Tempest. And the asteroids that challenge you, excite you, test you like never before. Discover the Atari that opened your eyes to the world's most popular home video games like Space Invaders. Missile Command and Warlords. Discover the Atari that brought you a home computer truly designed for the home. Sophisticated for advanced needs, yet simple enough for your child to use. Compose music. Play advanced games. Manage your finances. All at the touch of a button. Discover Atari. Atari! And discover how far you can go. positive about this. I'm pretty sure that that's Jack Palance, or Jack Palance. However, there's one, too. Hey, he's finally dead, isn't he? Yes, he's dead. I say as though I was waiting for it to happen. As though I was waking up every day and scanning the obituaries to see if uh, Jack Palance, 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 whether he was dead. Do you, let me ask you this, right now at the top of the show. Do you guys have grandparents, or did you have grandparents who would wake up every day and immediately read the obituaries? Am I the only one that had relatives that did that? My relative, probably did it, probably right now. My mom and dad, wherever they are, they're opening up a newspaper and looking at the obituaries or the obits, as my grandmother would call them. That was like her, her day's first stop. That used to be page two of the Nashua Telegraph. <laughs> really? Yep. Who's dead in Nashua today? Weird. I think there is some sort of a, a event horizon one reaches in the aging process. You hit... I don't know, 60, 65? Well, I've had friends who do that who really like going to... Um... Funerals? Like, yeah, no, not funerals, but you know, um, when they have um, when they clean out an entire house and sell all the possessions. Oh, estate sales. Estate sales. Well, that's different. That's just like some. That's that's just because you want to buy some crap, and there's you know, and the haggling's a lot easier when the selling party is deceased. Uh, but I do think you hit there's some sort of like halfway between your sixth and seventh decade on this planet. You do hit some sort of moment in your life when the obituaries become the most fascinating thing in the newspaper to you. Old people are obsessed with death, too, and not just because... I sound like a bad stand-up comic. Old people, they're all about death. I don't know whether it's because, as William Holden says a network, that death becomes a, a tangible thing to them with definable features at that age. But my grandmother would wake up in the morning. This is all by way of talking about Jack Palance, who I think is the voice behind that Atari commercial we were just playing, and we'll return to that in a second here on the Rick Emerson radio program. I haven't even done the introduction, but I have to say this, that my grandmother would wake up her whole day was just death, death, death. She would wake up, she would read the obituaries in the newspaper. 
Then she would spend the rest of her day equally divided between watching, uh, you know, sort of Matlock-esque television programs. Because everything that an old person watches on television, it's all about somebody being killed and then some other person solving the crime through the use of homespun wisdom and, like, homemade cobbler. So you, you know, they watch some Andy Griffith, J Jessica Fletcher type solving murders. The other thing, the, the third element of my grandmother's death-obsessed trifecta, the obituaries, uh, murder mystery television programs, and or Ellery, uh, Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, or, and I don't even know if they do this anymore, the police radio scanner. And I don't even. My grandfather had one of those. My mom had one. The Bearcat Police Radio he Scanner. He would sit in his office and listen to that all day long. I, would, would... I was sent downtown to buy crystals to make sure that we could pick up the correct space. <laughs> crystals. Really? They're little chips. Oh, I know. Scanner. Oh, I know what crystals are. This is before that you could punch numbers, and you had to have the thing to stick into the back of the thing. I don't know what it is about. I, at first, do they even sell those anymore? That seems like Probably a thing not. that would be illegal at this point. Like, I don't think the man would be letting you buy something unless you listen to police correspondence or, you know, the, the radio getting back and forth. My grandmother was ne And to this day, I'm not going to do it, but to this day, I could imitate the sound that her police radio scanner made. Uh, when there was an emergency in the neighborhood. I mean, it was sort of like a car alarm. It was just sort of a toot, 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 toot. And it was, that would indicate that there was, somebody had just been shot in the face somewhere. And my grandmother would immediately you know, roll her old bones over there and crank it up so she could hear the police uh, dispatcher talking to whoever it was. It was going to have to go hose the remains out of the car or whatever. There was, And I think her police scanner actually also did... I think it did all the emergency frequencies. I think her police scanner also monitored the fire department scanners and then, you know, like uh, ambulance scanners or something. And she would just stay glued to that thing all day long. As a matter of fact, the biggest underground trading going on was the secret police codes and what they meant. Sector 9, Is Sector 9, really? 1052 going on. Yeah. There is a deceased feline in the middle of the road. There, uh, it, That is just... I think that is sort of the... I was going to say it's the internet of an earlier era, but I, I don't know. I don't even know that that's true. I don't know that there is any sort of. I don't know that there's any analog, so to speak, to the uh, to the police radio scanner. I don't know. It's just a weird little slice of it, and it's weird that we all in this room had an older relative who did that. Well, it was before like 75 channels of cable. Yeah, but I mean, but it, but it, why is it an old person thing? You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it's interesting to me that it is. No one. It makes older people feel more comfortable in their own homes. I think to know what's going on outside, so that they know, so that they know where the crime's being committed, right. so they know where the undesirables are located. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, there you go. So I remember sitting at my grandmother's because I, I would get dumped off to stay at my grandmother's uh, house all the time, which is just a, like a living hell on earth. And, uh, it, it, and just it, it, I think about my grandmother's house and the things that come back to me about my grandmother's house are, A, everything there was itchy and scratchy. Uh, every, the, the couch, the carpet, the, the, I, I mean, the, the, the pot holders, every single thing in that house, it was like it was made out of... Um, it was like it was made out of, of insulation or something. Like it was made out of spun glass. Everything in her home, every fabric, every exposed inch of cloth, everything in her home was, it was just jagged and burr-like. Um, the other thing is that everything was stained with cigarette smoke because she would just sit in her chair and smoke like a hundred packs of cigarettes a day. And I would leave, I mean, I, I probably got black lung now from all the time I spent in my grandmother's house just inhaling her Winston's or whatever the hell it was. That and the police scanner. Those are the three things. And everything just smelled of mildew and death. Well, anyway, so there you go. There's my wacky cultural. And look at and immediately, 
I'm looking at the phones. Immediately, everyone is calling about police scanners. And I'm looking at the calls right here, and everyone has an older relative that just sat glued to the police scanner. This is a strange thing. It really is. How did I... How in the world did I get from Jack Palance to my grandmother's police scanner? How did that happen? Does anybody remember? No. No. All right. Well, let's move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, which I haven't even introduced. Uh, do, I haven't even given the phone numbers. I haven't done anything yet. Uh, hi, hello, who's this? Aaron. Hi, Aaron, what's up? I have the reason that the old people read the obituaries. Okay, go ahead. And I only have the reason because my great-grandfather did it, and he told me why. He would get up at like 4 in the morning and read the paper, and I'm pretty sure it's the only section he read. Yeah. And he said he read it so he could see if his name was in it, and if his name was in it, he was going back to bed. That's great. Did he tell you that joke frequently? All the time. Old people But, you know, he was very old. Oh, no, no, I understand that. No, look, I repeat myself now, and I'm only 34. I, uh, now, old people get to that point where it's, uh, they don't remember that they told you the joke about 12 seconds ago. All right. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you, Aaron. Uh-huh. All right. I'll uh, do one more before we do the introduction. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, how's it going? What's up? Hey, man, I got a handheld 1,000-channel police scanner. A 1,000-channel police scanner. Yep. Are there a 1,000 channels? I mean, I don't understand... Explain to me, to but I mean, what, what what are the thousand channels for? I mean, that, that is still only, it only works in Portland, right? I mean, you live in Portland. It doesn't. It's not like you can sit in Portland and pick up the police in Taiwan or something. No, you can go county, state, federal, FAA. Is are there really a thousand channels of communication to listen to? If you want to sit there and push all the buttons to program them in, there is. Fantastic. What's the most exciting thing you've ever heard in your police scanner? Uh, I've heard stabbings. Like wife, wife uh, stabbed her husband with a steak knife, and then he went next door. But I mean, now, but you didn't hear the actual stabbing; you just heard the reporting of the stabbing. Yeah. So it's sort of news as it happens. Yeah. All right. I just want to hear where the man's going to beat somebody down with a steak. No, now that is interesting because if you think like that, there's going to be some sort of a hostage situation. There's going to be some sort of a, you know, the police are going to be peppering a guy full of lead, and maybe you have some time to kill. You're unemployed. Maybe you're, you know, you're on your lunch break or something. You want to find some cheap amusement or entertainment. That's a thing that comes in handy. Pepper spray and tasers. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. Yep. All right. Here's a Bearcat police scanner. Mark Dom from two hundred sixty nine dollars now ninety five. All right. See that? Yeah, that's that's really advanced. It's way more advanced than my grandmother's. That's a brand new one. But Bearcat, Bearcat is the brand that she had. Uh huh. And there was a bi- there was one big blue button for the police, a big red button for uh-huh. the fire department, yeah. and a big uh, like green button or whatever for the ambulance. Mm-hmm. All right. That's very strange. Uh, Jesus, we're eleven minutes in. Oh, Hi. Man. It's 11 after 11 right here in the uh, month of September in the year of our Lord, 2007. Thank you for coming by and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed and death-obsessed studios of AM 970, Solid State Radio. It's the uh, Rick Emerson program. It is Tuesday. We're back live. Uh, Welcome to Day 12. Thank you for being out there. It's 503-733-2970. You want to join in, be part of today's broadcast in whatever fashion, manner, matter, or form. Scotty J is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your phone calls about whatever. It's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or Scotty J at 970.am. It's 503-733-2970. Let's do one more here before we do anything else. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, good morning, Rick. Hey. Where's my Andy? Come on. What, I, what, is your name Andy? Hey. 
No hello? one tells. Oh, I'm sorry. Andy. No one tells me anything. Yes, hello. Andy, How well, can I help you? Yeah. Hey, if you think about it, the police scanner, kind of like uh, your grandparents version of uh, reality TV or those cop shows. That is true. No, it's the, the very good. It's the auditory version of cops yeah, uh, like from 20 years ago. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. really thought about that. That really is true, but it's like uh, real-time cops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, okay, thank you, you for pointing that out. It makes sense. Thank you. There you go. That makes total sense. That's, uh... There you go. That's Andy, who wasn't identified. Andy! I, did, I had no idea. All right. Uh, what are we doing today? One has no idea, does one? Uh, it, it, my whole point, though, was that that Atari speech we played at the beginning, I'm pretty sure that's Jack Palance, but I can't be entirely sure. Jack Palance is, let me see if I can... Wildest dreams. Discover Atari. Pioneers in coin video games like Centipede. Jack Palance? Two's a little higher than Jack Palance. Yeah, yeah but it was just like 30 years ago, though. And the asteroids that challenge you, excite you, test you like never before. Discover the Atari that opened your eyes to the world's most popular home video games like Space Invaders. And see, because I remember... Could be. Missile Command and Warlords. I, I, I don't even know. It sounds like... He, didn't he sound like the last game is Morons? Every time you... It says Morons. Um, every time you say Jack Plants, I keep thinking of the Vandals song, and now we dance. I got nothing. And uh, of course, Jack Palance, my generation knows him from uh, uh, from uh, Believe It or Not. Uh, he hosted the uh, the late seventies, early eighties iteration of Believe It or Not, and then he hosted um, Ripley's Believe It or Not. And then he hosted You Asked for It, uh, I think, in the eighties as well. Well, whatever. All right. Uh, hi, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Well, we set some sort of land speed record there for getting completely off point or off task, as they used to say to me tediously in high school. Uh, coming up today, Lisa Goddard it flat out lied to us. She deceived us uh, yesterday. She's not on. We, today we got Bob Costantini, which is you know a small joy in and of itself. Uh, I'll be talking to uh, Bob Costantini today, senior radio correspondent from D.C. Uh, Steve Castamon going to join us from uh, New York City. We'll talk about. Um, the guy, what's his name? Just, I swear to God, it'll be brief too. Brief and painless. You can call Laura Caviezel and she can um, give you a blow by blow of how to describe, how to pronounce that guy's name. Really? Uh huh. Can she do it ten minutes later than it was supposed to be scheduled? Or maybe not at all. <laughs> Steve Castro will join us today. We'll talk about blah blah blah, Iranian president. I swear to you, we'll keep it to like ninety seconds though, and then we'll talk about Sarah's failure to meet with him in New York. Uh, let's see. We'll talk to Cena Radio Correspondent Ed McCarthy today. We're not going to be, just so you know, we're not going to be discussing Michael Vick at all because he's done. He's finished. He's over. F him. He's gone. Uh, we will be talking about uh, this guy because I think he's a Mormon nutcase. Uh, this, this polygamist guy who is, he's on trial to the arranged marriage of a 14-year-old girl that he was, like, putting it to in some woodshed, like, in the, in the hinterlands of Utah, like they all do. Uh, so we'll, uh... So we'll talk to Ed McCarthy about that, but it's basically just a checking. We haven't talked to McCarthy since we've been gone. Uh, also, uh, Jim Roof will be joining us today. Two things: Phil Spector, and then also Keeper Sutherland got busted for DUI. The, I'm going to start this revolutionary new service in Los Angeles. It's called Drivers. I mean, I don't know. I would say 90% of the celebrity stories we've had in the last six months have had their genesis in the fact that somebody insisted on driving their own car. I mean, why, if you had the money, why would you not just hire somebody just for convenience sake? Uh, to drive you around. I mean, I just don't understand at all. Um, 
All right. Well, whatever. Anyway, so uh, Kiefer Sutherland got busted for DUI. We'll talk to Jim Roop uh, about that. What else? Oh, it is High Concept Tuesday. Uh, so we'll roll out a high concept topic later on today. Uh, and because it, it, we will talk Halo 3. Don't think, don't think that we're not going to do that. We'll talk about Halo 3, which came out uh, last night at midnight. Um, and in honor of Halo 3, we'll be doing today's top five. Today's top five, the date of the Atari 2600's release to the American buying public, October 15th, 1977. And it's, a, it's terrible. It's, and it's not even, I mean, sometimes we have songs in the top five that are just sort of vaguely bad. These are all aggressively bad. I mean, they're all really actively, virulently bad, maliciously bad. Uh, so today's a top five. Top five songs from October 15, 1977. That's the week the Atari 2600, or the Stella, as it was known, uh, went on sale. So we'll get to that. All right. Uh, let's see. we got a Jack Palance. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up, man? What's up? Hey, that is most definitely Jack, Jack Palance. It is Jack I'm, Palance. I'm, I'm positive. I, you know, like I, I always compare his voice when I hear it to that Ripley's Believe It or Not. Believe it or not. Yeah, Ripley's Believe It. it does, if you sort of mentally calibrate it down and take into a, take into account the fact that it's 25 years ago, I think it, I think it is him. It's, there's no uh, video of him with that. In other words, the video is all just of the screen, the Atari computer screen. So I can't really tell. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, he's he, he's also dead. Very dead. Uh, Okay, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. All I remember is that they, they, when Atari decided to launch their line of home computers, which was ill-advised, uh, anybody remember who uh, the, the spokesperson was for the Atari home computer system? Not to be confused with their video games, but when they launched, like, the Atari 800 and, you know, all of that? No. Alan Alda. Oh, there you go. Alan hmm. Alda. That's and it made a lot of waves at the time because he didn't do product endorsements. He didn't do commercials. He was all above that and whatnot. Uh, and then he endorsed like, the most the most destined for failure line of home computers ever. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. Oh, no, and we've got some Indiana Jones 4 stuff as well. Uh, let's see. We're joined today's Are We Always by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Why, hello, and how are you? Well, hello. I'm doing, well, I'm a lot less tired than I was yesterday. I don't so know. I think I got too, well, I, I slept, but then, you know, the loud roommate upstairs was pounding around, and then I fell back to sleep, so I feel a little crazy today. Yeah, me too. I'm a little, feeling a little untethered mentally. As though I may just, uh, I don't know, I just, this is one of the things where my head just feels like it might come detach my body and float away into the ether. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel a little a little woozy, a little I, weird today. But I stayed in and watched a movie last night, and I watched this movie called The Prestige. Now, see, when you say The Prestige, I keep thinking of The Majestic with Jim Carrey. No, this one has Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale and Michael Caine in it. Uh-huh. It was really good. It's The Magician movie? Yeah, it's um, it sounds it sounds dorky, and maybe it is, but, um, yeah, it's these two competing magicians, like, I, I don't know, it's that, you know, back in olden times. Right. Um, and they're competing to have, like, the best trick in the world. And they, it's just, it's very, very interesting. It's very dark. Uh, the ending was really disturbing. It has, like, a twist kind of at the end that you don't really expect. All right, okay. I liked it. So I think you would, too. All right, well, I'm, I'll check it out because it's, it, it, and it does sound... I think it's it's different, but it's I think it came out around the same time as that movie, The Illusionist. Who's in that? Uh, Ed Norton. I think it's called The Illusionist. Um, Ed Norton plays a magician in like the 1800s France, I think. I think I've seen that for sale next to the candy bars at Safeway. Really? Yeah. How sad. I know. Seen for a dollar at the McDonald's drive-through. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk more to you in just a second about something. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification today. Bill Gates make it, makes a surprise appearance in a Bellingham store last night as the Halo 3 is unveiled. Fantastic. A wood-burned woman is jailed for buying a stolen car for $10. Police ask for your help in catching the flasher. 
The constable helps a Portland woman and will look for his, her own purse snatcher. A special effects tech is killed on the set of the new Batman movie in England. Donald Trump advises Debbie to go and hide. And we won't talk about the president of Iran today or ever again. Hey. Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, all right, so that's all coming up. Oh, Snuff Watch. Uh, not a Snuff Watch. I'm sorry. Darwin Watch. Yeah. What is this thing over here? Oh, Geek Watch. Bush Watch, it sounds like. And then uh, I may. I have this Cannibal Watch that I may or may not get to. It is. It, it, it depends. So, by the way, just as a brief side note here, before we talk about Sarah's uh, beating inside a club in New York. Oh, I'm you're... Just, no, I'm, I'm confused. You're exaggerating. Was the beating outside a club or the attacking outside a club and then the... You also had some running with the cops. Was no, that inside were, the club? Two no, different the, events. Two different events. The the girl who accosted me was inside of a club on Sunday night last Sunday, and then the cop thing happened on this past Saturday. All right, so we'll talk about that in just a second. I just want to dovetail to something Tim said. You were talking about there was an underground network years ago talking about what police codes and what they meant. Yeah. I don't really know about police codes. I used to know what something nine meant. That's the only thing, and I've forgotten that. I do know this that. Um, because you know I have a whole medical family where you know my uh, my mom and my sister and my wife and my niece are all nurses. I'm just surrounded by nurses everywhere I go. Um, so that's good. So I do know. Yeah. So I do know the. So if I just begin bleeding out of my eyes, there'll be somebody there to daub me. Uh, but I do know a lot of the hospital codes because you know the hospitals because they don't wish to alarm people, and so the hospitals do have elaborate uh, sort of code things that they announce over the intercom. Uh, like, you know, there's that show uh, with what's-his-name from Blackadder, uh, Hugh Laurie, uh, that show House, mm-hmm. and his name is Dr. House, and that's a little bit of an in-joke, actually, because at most hospitals, I know it's true here, but at most hospitals, when they say, if you are ever in a hospital and you hear them say, Dr. House, go to room 552, that means whoever's in there just died. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, and I had a friend of mine who was in the hospital and knew that, and she said that it used to just creep her out because she was there for like a week or so. And she said like a couple times a day, you'd hear, Dr. House, room 225, and that, mean, that meant like 225 just died. Kind of like that thing um, have you heard in uh, department stores when they say that person, that kid's name, you know, who was kidding. There's some case back in California right. where um, some kid was kidnapped and killed. So then when they say, you know, that they're paging looking for a certain child, oh. it means that they're on lockdown for the store. Paging the Adam Walsh. Been, yep, because yeah. the child's been kidnapped. Oh, that's creepy. That's so totally has, creepy. Has your wife had to do, uh, deal with a dead patient yet? Uh, well, how do you mean deal with? Do you mean, I mean look come through, into a room and, and look of. through the pockets for money? Or? No, I mean, uh, all, of a, all of a sudden, someone under her care has has died in the room next to her or um, close by. I think so. Um, she, uh, yeah, there's been some, uh, there's been some unpleasantnesses. Um, well, uh, how do I put this? She, uh, occasionally there's, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Someone who becomes lifeless? Assumes room temperature. Um, no, the um, I was going to say that um, there are certain sections of perhaps uh, the medical care world where the patients are more likely to die than others. No. Uh, perhaps, perhaps that might even be one of the patients' stated objectives in in their in their short term uh, oh. in their short term future. Okay, might be a whole lot. What are you planning to do today, Bob? Well, I thought I'd hang myself from the ceiling fan. So, um, yeah. So there's been some uh, there's been some lifelessness. Yes. Oh, jeez. Did you have a follow-up question, or were you just curious? No, I was just curious. No, and she, no, so she's, I can never complain about, you know, my job, I and mean, I can, but it just doesn't hold a candle. Oh, I had this really bad day, the phone, the phone didn't work right, you know. She's like, yeah, I 
yeah, I had a patient, you know, like, blah, 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 you know, whatever. You know, she's like, I had a, I had a terrible day. There's, you know, some, I had a patient with a huge grapefruit-sized tumor in his head, oh. you know, or something. It's just like, what you know, or whatever. Because, like, she used to work with the Alzheimer's folks. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I'd be like, yeah, I had this terrible day. I got a paper cut. And she'd say, yeah, I had three of my patients die and... And the uh, you know the other one just you know began soiling herself in the hallway. Oh. And I just kind of go, oh. You know, and, uh, what, what are you gonna do? I mean, you can just know I have no response to that. Pass the gravy. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Gravy, room two twenty four. Uh, we'll get Sarah's story in just a moment. This guy has a question about hospitals. Hello, sir. Yes, uh, Rick. Okay, there's yeah. something I've always well, I've been trying to figure this out for a long time. You know the uh, the term in the hospital or medical profession, fat. Yeah. And I don't mean hurry up, do it right now. But it sounds to me like it's an, an acronym for something. Uh, I believe STAT. Now, I could be wrong about this. Let me Google it. Um, I've asked nurses when I'm, you know, in the waiting room. Nobody seems to know what the acronym is. Uh, no, I do believe, and I could be, I could be wrong about this, but I do believe uh, that STAT is actually. Um, a, an abbreviation of a Latin word, because you know most oh, of the crap. You're making that up. No, 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 I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not because you know most of the stuff in law. Usually, I make stuff up. This, I think, I'm right about because Latin gives us most things in law and medicine, and I do believe yeah. that stat is an abbreviation of Latin, and it's like statis or stat, statum, statum, something like that, and it means like now or fast. Okay, okay. I, I could be wrong about that, but I do believe that stat is an abbreviation of the Latin word for now. Okay, I'll buy that for now, but if somebody has the definitive answer on that, yeah. please All pass right. it along. Well, we'll look into it, sir. I thank you, Rick. Thank you. All Have right. a good day. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, so real quickly, so uh, I want to get to this. So please now to describe the two incidents that happened into, to you in New York, one of an attempted beating and one of an attempted uh, ticketing. Oh, well, I, God, I wish you would have hit me up for this after I had my coffee. I feel like I'm not on yet. Do you want me to ask you later? Yes. All right. Let's let me, let me have a couple cups of coffee. Whole conversation. Didn't I don't want to disappoint the people. All right. Okay. Fair enough. We'll get back to it. Okay. Uh, Rick, I just realized that Sarah was born the year that I graduated from high school. God damn, I am old. Where can I buy a police scanner? Uh, we really need to get a police scanner for the studio. Okay. They Did had one over at the other place. It Where? was in the corner and nobody was using it. Over oh. at the, the coin tower? Yeah. It was in the corner with all, all those beautiful boom boxes that were as big as a German Shepherd. Okay. Excellent. It was all covered with dust. Well, we'll have somebody go fetch that. We'll have somebody bring that out. If it's just not, I mean, it's like that cart machine. You know what I mean? Just not, uh, it's just not being used at Scotty all. Scotty J always loves an excuse to run to the plaid. He can just go pick it up. It really, it really does. Um, all right. So, uh, okay. So we'll talk to the, we'll talk to Sarah about that thing later. Uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. I do want to talk. I want to say thanks to everybody who went to the Circuit City at Jansen Beach last night for the Halo Three. I actually did not go. Um, I ended up. I was. I wanted to go, but. It's like, you know, that old cliche about the second day jet lag. And I was just hosed. I was so exhausted. And, I mean, I, as tired as I still kind of am today, and I'm not trying to complain about it. It's just a fact. I would have been, there's no way. If I'd been at, because that wouldn't have put me home at, like, till 2. You get, get to sleep at 3. You get back out at, like, 7. There's just no, there's no way. Um, can't be done. No, it can't be done. So I did. I got a bunch of text messages from people. I'm in Circuit City. Where are you, ass? So I, I didn't go. And I, so I'm, I'm going to have to wait to hear from people about Halo 3. Seamus. Seamus, our listener in Colorado, is so great. He was listening to the show on his laptop via Wi-Fi while waiting in line for Halo for 12 hours yesterday. Um, 
And I was getting updates from him even at like 11.55. He's like, still in line in Colorado, blah, blah, blah. You know, Seamus out. So, and he's like, I'm going home to play play Halo 3 until my eyes fall out. And so there's a whole bunch of people who are probably not even listening today because they're either asleep or they're just in front of the screen playing Halo 3. So I don't, the word is that it's great. Uh, You know, I I don't know because I haven't seen it. So we'll have to, we'll talk more about that. I do also have uh, some potential Indiana Jones spoilers. And I'm just going to read this email. This email says, Rick, click the following below link for Indiana Jones spoilers if you'd like to read them. It sounds cool if true and it would make sense. And then there's the link. So the Hmm. question is, do we wish to read the spoilers? Absolutely. I'm clicking on the link right now. All right. And if you're going to get mad about the spoilers, turn off your radio now. All right. So let's see. I have, okay, I have a whole list of Indiana Jones spoilers. Now, if you don't want to hear them. You turn out for like 20 seconds. I'm going to read them. You do want to hear them. You're sure about it? Yes, absolutely. All right. I have now three Indiana Jones spoilers, which I will read. Tune out for 20 seconds if you do not wish to uh, to hear these. They're not huge. It says, Indy and the Soviet Army are both searching for a priceless skull made of crystal in the jungles of South America. That's spoiler one. Spoiler two, Russians take Indy hostage and blackmail him by threatening to kill his ex-girlfriend and mother of his son, Marion Ravenwood. And then they claim here that Shia LaBeouf is the son. They claim that he is the son, not just, you know, Yeah, well, he's the estranged son. Yeah, the estranged son. Well, that's because that's nobody's ever seen the script, so it is more confirmation of that. And then finally, Kate Blanchett, as we've heard, this is confirmed apparently, plays an evil Russian who does uh, tie Indy to a chair and interrogate him, perhaps oh, sexily. that's awesome. So there you go. Nothing huge, but I mean, that's... I'm sorry, doesn't she have a slight Nazi vibe on her? She really... What are you trying to say? Um, she's just perfectly typecast for that role. Yeah, no, it's true. So I, okay. uh, so that's is nothing huge. It's basically all stuff we've heard before. But apparently that has been confirmed as somebody who claims that they have uh, that they have seen the script. All right, so there you go. Uh, so we did give you ample warning on that. It's now safe to listen again. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. I guess we should probably break here. Uh, when we break, we'll come back. Steve Kastenbaum will join us. Later on, Bob Costantini, Jim Roop, Ed McCarthy, uh, the new News Hour, top five songs from 1977, uh, and blah, 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 and then Sarah's uh, New York story. So stay there. Back out of this. Rick Emerson. Emerson Radio program. It's uh, 503 You know, it's this frustrating thing where I get these faxes about artists that are coming to town, and then I realize they're not really coming here, they're coming to Seattle. Because I guess we're all just interchangeable. So I look here and it says, Iron and Wine, coming on December 3rd. No, not so much. Coming to a place hours away December 3rd. Thanks for sending that to me. All right, uh, it's 503-733-2970. Let us now welcome to the Rick Emerson radio program. From New York City, CNN radio correspondent and smooth guy about town, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. How are you? Pretty good. I haven't heard the music in a while. I missed it. Ah, well, see, it's uh, trying to bring y'all, trying to bring you back home, back into the loving bosom of the Rick Emerson show, Steve. Thank you. How's life? How's things in uh, in New York City? 
couldn't be more exciting with Amendinajad around town. You know? <laughs> okay, let me just say, first of all, that's just the perkiest thing you've ever said. Rick, it couldn't be more exciting. <laughs> that's like That was like Katie Couric perky just there. Um, oh, that's frightening. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, you guys have, I mean, really, there's just everything going on there. So, um, well, first of all, I mean, we, we had this unfortunate uh, incident on the show yesterday where uh, because we try very hard to stay away from anything that is serious or has actual content or substance to it. Because that just takes away from time that I could be talking about Britney Spears or Motley Crue or something. And so I just I try to avoid it. But we had, you know, the news about... Uh, about uh, uh, now I feel like I'm under all this pressure to say it correctly. Ahmadinejad. That's it. I think I actually mispronounced it for, for a second. You know, the thing is, no one knows. Hey, Laura, can you look and tell you how to pronounce it? Ahmadinejad, yes. Re- repeatedly. Over and over again. Um, no, I, I think... <laughs> My experience is if you just kind of go, I don't Jad, Iranian, uh, people know who you're talking about. But um, so we con- talked about this yesterday, and then me- and I made this, I'm- I made some sort of off the cuff remark about it, and then man, it was like ten solid minutes where I just it became some really tedious, bad version of the Michael Reagan show or something. It was just awful. Where the listeners were calling in and people were screaming at each other about it, and so we sort of vowed not to talk about it anymore yesterday. But I do want to talk about it a little bit today because you're you know you're kind of there in the heart of the whole thing. Um, so, I mean, just so we can sort of clarify this. A, I mean, the guy's. It's. It seems maybe wrong to call him um, funny. That's probably inaccurate. But he is sort of, I think, inadvertently hilarious because he's just so clearly insane, and just peddling just this, just this weird crap that was coming out of his mouth yesterday. And the greatest moment was when, and you undoubtedly have talked about this a billion times, the greatest moment yesterday was when he was trying to talk about how there, quote, are no homosexuals in Iran, and then the audience just erupted with laughter. Oh, yeah, I've got that all queued up. Oh, yeah, let's play that again in case people haven't, hear, haven't heard it. Yeah, of course, uh, the president of the university was, was chastising Ahmadinejad for his policies and his views, and he talked about uh, execution of individuals in Iran who are homosexuals. And, and as a matter of fact, I think the reason why... It got such a reaction from the audience was because there were many posters all over the campus yesterday from, from students' groups, and one of them showed images of people being publicly executed, and on one picture there was a shot of two men who were supposedly hanged in public because they were homosexuals. So I think that's why it got such a strong reaction from the audience, but, but here you go. I mean, they laughed like it was a comedy show. I mean, that's how hard the laughter was. I mean, just because the guy is just so absurd. And I, and this is for everybody out there who's cringing, remembering yesterday's discussion about this. I don't know about the, the whole thing again, but my observation was uh, that the guy is clearly crazy and evil. And, you know, I don't think there's getting, any getting around that. My point was that if a guy is, is crazy and evil and bent on world destruction and, you know, what, and wiping the groups of people off the planet, whatever, my belief is uh, that I absolutely want to have that guy on a microphone or on a camera all the time because I think it's worthwhile to know where he is and what he's thinking at all moments. That's a guy I want to keep a close eye on. So, but, but I know that there was... How did it come to pass, though, that the guy was in America speaking? I mean, that, that's sort of the, the, the U.S. government, that's sort of like a tacit approval by the, the Bush administration that it was okay for him to come and, and hang out and talk to people, right? Well, with the United Nations, whenever they have the General Assembly, uh, the United States cannot prevent a head of state from coming to the U.N. if they are a member state. So, uh, you know, folks who are sort of uh, on the blacklist for the U.S. Uh, 
as far as the U.S. is concerned, they're still allowed to come and speak at the U.N. General Assembly and travel within a 25-mile radius of the United Nations. So, you know, the uh, head of state of, of Korea, for instance, uh, North Korea, could come to the U.N. and or Iran, as, as this may be the case, or even Cuba. If Castro wanted to come, the, the U.S. cannot prevent him from coming to the United Nations because they are a member state. He just can't travel outside of a 25-mile radius of the U.S. That actually does surprise me because it, Cas Castro is just such a relentless camera hog and, and just uh, really just such a, uh, a, a drama queen. Uh, you would think that uh, that he would have taken advantage of that and he would you think that Castro would be here like every other day just to, sort of touring around, you know? It, it does take special exemption. The, it's not something that they, they can just do on a whim. They have to get approval from the State Department and then the United Nations basically have to lobby on their behalf for them to get this special status. So it's not something like, you know, they can just get on a plane and come over. But uh, but it, it does take uh, some approval from the U.S., but that's, that's basically how it works. I can't even imagine the amount of security that they must have had yesterday. I mean, this is, I know, a big, broad, uh, far-reaching question, but, I mean, what was the vibe uh, like? i got to tell you, I don't know if you've seen the images of him walking around, but he's kind of short. And most of his security uh, guards were uh, of average height. But he had one guy in his entourage who looked like he was like six foot eight and like a professional wrestler from the WWF. He had this whole entourage and then this one giant of a man. Flanked by the Power ultimate over. warrior. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, uh, what's the, um, the the Iranian Sheik? Remember him? The, the, oh, yeah, the Iron Sheik, yeah. The Iron Sheik, that was it, the Iron Sheik, yeah. Right it now, Steve like Steve Kastamum, I will send you a check for $50 right now if you can tell me the Iron Sheik's finishing move. Oh, man, I don't remember. The Camel, uh, the camel Clutch. Ah. Uh, yeah. That's, and that's, I go back to the days of, of Jimmy Superfly Snooker and Bobby Backman. Can I, can I just yeah. tell you this? Let me just tell you this. And I was just gonna, such knowledge, by the way, that's exactly the kind of knowledge that keeps me sporadically employed here in Portland Radio. <laughs> um, I will tell you this. And I should say this to the end is my own personal finishing move. Uh, but I will say that my uh, wife used to babysit for Jimmy Superfly Snooker's children. No. Yes, she did. There you go. So just oh wow. Have a little bit of have a little, little bit of bit of envy about that. I do. Um. All right. Well. So anyway. So he's he's is he gone? Is he still here? When is he leaving? He's actually going to speak at the United Nations General Assembly in about two hours or so. I. You know. So it'll be interesting to see if he reacts. You know, to yesterday's uh, introduction that uh, he was given at Columbia. He was obviously caught off guard, and he knew it was going to be a contentious meeting. But uh, he obviously. By his body language, we could tell he did not expect to get the the opening greeting that he did from Colombia's president. i got to tell you, the, the best thing, though, and I keep going back to this, the greatest moment of this whole thing was when he, he you know, he started bumping his gums about gays in Iran, and the audience just laughed at him because uh, one of my big heroes uh, was Abby Hoffman, who was, uh, you know, a member of the Chicago 8 or the Chicago 7, depending on right. which version of the trial you're talking about. And Abby Hoffman said the greatest thing one time. He said that if... Sometime, he said if at some point in like 1936, if when Adolf Hitler had been speaking on stage, if someone had just gone up and pulled his pants down on stage, <laughs> that he never, could have, he never could have run the country. He's like, he's like the people never would have been able to vote for a guy or support a guy who'd had his pants pulled down on stage. Um, you know, and I've, I've always firmly believed that, that if you, know, if you are some sort of a political leader, somebody like that, and you are just sort of scorned or mocked in exactly the right way in public, it just effectively undermines you. So I really am a big believer in the power of scorn in, in sort of deflating guys like that. So, well, anyway. he's not exactly loved by the general public in his own country. He's not the, the, the main man in charge. It's really the Ayatollah, the Grand Ayatollah. But um, he, was, he was elected 
sort of fix the economic problems in his country, and he hasn't done so. And he's sort of been distracting from all that by going on his rants about the West and about the Holocaust and, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, he's got troubles in his own country. He's got, he's, he's got an approval pro- uh, problem uh, back home. <laughs> Um, real quickly, and we're so kind of under the gun here today because I'm still playing catch-up, as they say, from being gone last week. I know that the planned meeting between yourself and Sarah Dillon in New York didn't happen because they, yeah. they, were, they were sending you to that CNN combat school or whatever? Uh, first of all, I really must publicly apologize to Sarah. I know I did it via email, but I'm really sorry because we talked it up so much, and then I got pulled away out of New York. You broke yeah. a date via email. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. I understand these things happen. Uh-huh. Really sorry. Yeah. It wasn't you. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling a little smothered right now, Sarah. Uh, yeah, um, no, they sent me to the Surviving Hostile Regions course. I think, was it Lisa that had gone to that, or was it... Um, she had. Yeah, Lisa's done that, and then I feel like such a tool because I can't remember her name right now. But the woman who we uh, had talked to, who had been overseas in uh, Lebanon and, and Israel, uh, Amanda Moyer did it. Amanda Moyer, and it was Amanda Moyer and somebody else. It was Amanda Moyer and another woman who they were sort of tag teaming, and I cannot remember the other woman's name, and I feel like a jerk for that. Um, but so, what is that where they teach you like what if you're taken hostage or if you're the uh, hostage part is part is a real small um, part of it. They teach you a, a heck of a lot of first aid, like critical first aid. Like, you know, you're, you're in a developing world nation and something happens. Either you come under attack or there's a bad car accident. And right. People have critical injuries or they stop breathing. They tell you what to do to, like, you know, do whatever you can to keep them alive until, uh, until you can get them to help, which is usually far away. That stuff was re- extremely realistic because uh, the CNN security company, they have a small one, not one of these big, crazy ones that, you know, you hear, you know, going nuts in, in Iraq. They have a really professional security company, and they're mostly uh, former British Special Forces guys, uh, and, and the medic created all these extremely realistic injuries. Uh. <laughs> yeah, complete with uh, uh, a simulated uh, a severed artery, that sort of stuff. That was fun. You learned how to, how to stop the bleeding. And then the other thing is that he, he, they set up very realistic ambushes or mortar attacks, that sort of stuff, as, as you're going through a simulation of pretending to you know, be with Afghan tribesmen and, and that sort of stuff. So and then... We get stopped at a, <laughs> this part was so realistic. Oh man, we we were supposed to be in Colombia and we're in the FARC rebel territory and we right. come across an armed checkpoint and they pull us out of the car and you basically gotta you know talk your way out of it and it gets really elevated and they're all armed and it was really really amazing training stuff that I'll that I'll definitely use uh, you know in the future. Use the next time you're walking through a, a bad part of Brooklyn or something. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Excellent, my friend. As always, a pleasure. We'll uh, we'll catch up more the next time we talk. It's good to be back. Good to talk to you again, sir. Thank you so much. Steve. Sorry, Sarah. Oh, that's all right, Steve. We'll be another time. That's okay. okay. We need space, Steve. <laughs> all right, there you go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen, in New York City. Fantastic. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Just a second, we'll talk to uh, Bob Costantini, who will be uh, joining us as well. Coming up at noon, it's the new News Hour with Tim Riley. Later on, top five songs from the week the Atari 2600 hit the market. That's uh, October 15th. 1977, Scotty J assembling that as we speak. We'll get some Halo 3 calls later on. Uh, it is High Concept Tuesday, uh, all of that and uh, so forth. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, now to the Rick Emerson Show. Will you please welcome... The one, the only... Hi, Bob. How are you today? Oh, just fine. Just fine. We haven't talked in a little bit. No, no, we haven't. You've been, uh, I've been incommunicado. No, not incommunicado. Is that the right thing? 
That is right. It's it's in absentia that's wrong. Even a while before you went on vacation, though. It's been that's a long true. Time. You've been uh, where have you been, Bob? You don't write. You don't call. You don't send flowers. Uh, <laughs> Lisa hasn't been taking a lot of vacation. Um, she is um, uh, she is off to uh, uh, Minnesota uh, uh, for the hearing with uh, Senator Craig's. Uh, oh, is that uh, where she is? Okay, yeah. because I know with his issues, you're so diplomatic. Hey, did you? I read a thing while I was gone. I was on vacation for a while, and it said that um. I just read this thing in some British paper or whatever they were talking about. It was a little tiny uh, one-paragraph thing on, like, page 40 of The Sun one day in London, and it said, you know, blah, 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 disgrace you as Senator Larry Craig. And it said that his, the restroom stall where he got into trouble has become some sort of huge tourist destination. That's, and they, uh, so that's that what I understand, yeah. People can't even get in to actually relieve themselves in the bathroom because there's a line of, like, 50 people posing, like, wackily on the toilet, tapping a foot, yeah. having to, having somebody take their photograph. No doubt. It's, I mean, we're, you know, it's... We have, everybody's going to have to design brand new codes for soliciting sex in the bathrooms. All the new, all the old ones are just being used by tourists now. It's going to be very difficult. This is our YouTube nation. Yes, yes, in, indeed. Um, all right. Uh, so, um, really, um, I have to phrase this very carefully because I, there's several things. There's a couple rules we operate by in the Rick Emerson Show. Um, right. You can always tell, I have this theory, you can always tell when a talk show host has woken up late, not done any prep, is hungover, has had a guest flake out and not show up, and this is speaking about like issue-oriented, typically conservative talk radio, you can always tell when they don't have anything to fill an hour with, because here's what will happen. The host will come on and go, one of three things. The host will come on and go, abortion, and that's number one. Number two would be nuclear power, at least it used to be. And then the third thing is the host will come on and go, Today we're going to talk about capital punishment. So I got to be real careful when I phrase it because this is—I'm really not trying to talk about that as such, but I am sort of intrigued by this whole business. There's—is this is the Supreme Court now, or is it a circuit court or something that is talking about this business of whether or not you can continue to kill people by lethal injection? Well, this is uh, this is the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, Rick, and uh, they have agreed to consider. And come up with a ruling in their uh, upcoming term, which starts on Monday. Uh, they will hear arguments at some points uh, regarding whether or not lethal injection is uh, is cruel and unusual punishment as defined by the Constitution. Of course, it's not very well defined in the Constitution. Um, and so this is one of those things where the Supreme Court is going to have to decide if uh, lethal injection causes excruciating pain um, for those who suffer through it now, and who a, are put to death by the states. Here's a dumb question. How does anybody who has not suffered lethal injection no. Well, uh, this is <laughs> this is obviously uh, why the court is going to have to figure this out. There are, uh, you know, there are studies of how this works, what it does to people, um, how long it takes for them to uh, die. Uh, but uh, yes, there is no one who is going to be able to testify about having gone through it. Needless to say, and uh, you know, in, in the in previous court rulings, uh, the, the suit has been brought by two Kentucky inmates. Um, and three years ago, and they have uh, questioned whether that state's particular chemical mixture uh, are, will would make them suffer uh, needlessly as they are uh, put to death. 
Well, okay. Well, there's, it's not really a big pick-me-up of a topic, but it is, it is sure. I do find it, it's the kind of thing that does sort of fascinate me because, A, I like any court case that has the potential for causing huge public ruckus and discord, uh, and this seems like one of those, because any time you take a step towards minimizing capital punishment at all, it, you know, there's, you know, you'll find uh, some guy with like a Confederate flag who begins to scream about it somewhere. So I like things that make people angry. And secondly, it's just such a weird, I don't want to say it's angels on the head of a pin, but it's just such a weird court case because it's again, it's just dealing with these variables that to some extent can't possibly even be known. So it's sort of a weird philosophical exercise, I guess. Well, what they're what they're trying to argue, uh, these Kentucky inmates, and what. Uh, uh, you know, prosecutors would counter-argue, if you will, is whether or not this particular, these mixtures of chemicals that are put into the veins of the uh, people who will be dying, um, whether or not it works in that, uh, you know, are they made unconscious first? Uh, will they feel any particular pain? Uh, and, uh, you know, before they are, in a sense, paralyzed, uh, their their lungs are paralyzed. Their their heart would be paralyzed. Those kinds of things. It seems like if they really uh, wanted to do an adequate job, it seems like I didn't mean to interrupt. It just seems like they just cut out the middleman and just get, just give you just a huge massive overdose of heroin. I mean that just, that seems to work pretty well. That seems to be effective at sedating you permanently. Uh, yes, I suppose that, that would work. I'm sorry. I but, uh, that would into... definitely be cruel and unusual, I think. I, yeah. Well, depending. I know people who pay good money for that. I mean, not personally. All right. Bob Costantini, as always, it's a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk to you very soon. And, uh, yes, 37 states do it. And I, I don't know if... Uh, uh, um, Oregon has a death penalty at all, right? Uh, well, Oregon... Is, well, that's a good question, actually. Oregon, do we do... Tim, do you know the the method of uh, the method of execution? Because we have uh, we have like was it Washington that used to hang people, or was it Oregon? Sure. It was Washington actually remember. that used to hang people? I get these all confused. And then I lived in Utah where they shot people, and actually still yeah. do. I like that the best. <laughs> That's, That's still favorite. a possibility. When I lived in Utah, actually, I told the story. When I lived in Utah, I actually, as for the radio station working for, I had to go cover. I wasn't a witness, but I had to go to the prison. It's called the Point of the Mountain, which is their state prison there. And I had to go there and actually cover the execution of a guy named John Albert Taylor, uh, who was uh, a, a, the same. You know, they strap you to a chair, and the creepiest yeah. part is they strap you to a chair and they put a little paper heart on your chest, uh, yeah. and that's what the guys aim at. So they. They hung a guy in Washington when I was growing up there. They shot a guy in Utah. So apparently wherever I go, they do something weird. So maybe here they just submerge you in a tub full of eels or something. I don't know. I think it's lethal injection, though. All right. Bob Constantini, right. thank you, my friend. All right. Take care, Rick. As always, a pleasure. Bob. Ladies and gentlemen, from the hill. Well, now it's going to bug me. Now I don't even know. I'll have to look it up. I guess it's Please one of those things by. that it's one of those bits of information that I guess uh, I should know, but I, I don't because I don't think I'm in any imminent danger of being uh, being convicted of a capital crime. They do execute people here, and here's how don't I know that. Yourself, Rick, you never know. <laughs> well, the day's not over, I suppose. Um, I said no decaf. Uh, I think they kill people here by lethal injection because Scott Daly was on that jury where he's like sent a guy to, to the to death row. Um, a couple years ago, because uh, he 
I'm trying to put this all together in my head. What a weird conversation. I never thought I'd be having this. It is chemicals. So it's lethal injection. The punishment of death shall be inflicted by the intravenous administration of lethal quantities of an ultra-strong acting barbiturate in combination with a chemical paralysis agent and potassium chloride and other equally effective substances sufficient to cause... Death. See, I, I don't know, Bob said I was being flipped, but really, if you want to accomplish the job and you want to make sure that it's painless, really just a massive uh, dose of heroin. You want to know what they are? The job. Yeah. Sodium pentothal, which induces sleep. Then pancornium bromide, which stops breathing, and potassium chloride, that stops the heart. It's a combination of three. Death row is located at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. The number of inmates sentenced to death as of 1-3-2006 is 32. Death row is located in the Intensive Management Unit at Oregon State Penitentiary. The Intensive Management Unit. That's a kind of an interesting euphemism. Uh, I'm sorry, Bob. We're going to have to strap you down and manage you pretty intensively. So here is the uh, demographic breakdown of those sentenced to death. Three African-Americans, two Hispanics, one Native American, and the worst people of all, white people, 26. Really? Yeah. Damn white people. The average age is 44. The oldest was uh, Jesse Pruitt, who, let's see, died in 1934. It doesn't really say. Uh, the longest continuously on death row was Jesse Pruitt, who was uh, admitted 5291. Congratulations there, Jesse. Well done, Jesse. Send him a cake. Or is he dead? He dead? No, he's he's, uh, he's alive. Still, he's yeah, still he's there. Alive. Well done. Way to way to hang around, I guess. What a strange conversation. All right. Uh, well, there you go. Blah blah blah. No, when I final note on the death penalty. When I lived in Washington, though, they hung a guy there, and Just I don't know if they still <laughs> they hung a man in, in hung a man in Tacoma just to watch him die. I don't remember where it was actually. I think it might have been. I think it might have been in Olympia, because that's the capital, and I think that's where yeah. the prison... Or it might have been in Walla Walla. Wesley Allen Dodd, though, was his name. He was like a child-killing guy, and uh, so F him. So they they uh, they, uh, they had this thing on the news, like, hey, we get we hung a guy, look. And it was like the creepy shot of, like, just his feet sticking through the bottom of the... Mm. Through the trap door or whatever, where you really just... You really don't know how to feel about that. It's like, hey, there's he's a dead guy's feet dangling on my television screen, but clearly he was like a, a you know, just like a, like, a, like a bastard. Oh, we used to but, hang people here. In, in Oregon? Yeah. Well, I think probably if you take any state in the union, you go back far enough, you'll find the whole, let's give them a good hanging. I guess it's the cheapest way. Just grab some rope and make a noose. Well, I mean, it does seem economically efficient. You know, in Texas, for a long time, it was a viable defense in court if you shot somebody to say that, quote, he needed killing. Yeah, I think up until, like, 1875. Like, did you kill this guy? You go, yes, Your Honor, but he needed killing. I mean, then the judge would go, well, all right then. And then you could just, you could go. All right. So I don't think they hang people in Washington anymore. Lethal injection here. They still shoot them in Utah. I just didn't think that they actually hung people at all. In Washington. And that was in the 80s. I mean, it was recent. It was like the late 80s. They hung Wesley Allen Dodd. Uh, and he was just like a, just a, just a son of a bitch. I mean, he had it he coming. Deserved. Yeah, he really, I mean, honestly. I mean, he really was just taking up space on planet Earth. Um, but, um, yeah, they, uh, but they hang. They hang people, I think, still in Washington, occasionally. The thing is, I think you get to choose in most states. Yeah, I think in most states, if there is more than one method, like I think in Oregon, you, I don't think you could choose. I think in Oregon, it has to be lethal injection, because I don't think there's any other alternative. So that guy that Scott Daly helped sentence to death row, I think he's going to get the, uh, the you know, the, the, whatever, the chemicals. But like in Utah, it's either lethal injection or the firing squad. And this guy, John Everett Taylor, because he was a nutcase Mormon, his, his, they, they, the Mormons have this whole thing about blood atonement. Which is like, if you spill blood, the only way you can be saved is to spill your own blood, blah, blah, blah. And he took it pretty literally. And so he's like, I want to be, why don't you do it? Just shoot me. And they said, well, okay. And um, I had a friend of mine who was actually a witness. I had a friend of mine who was one of the 12 guys, my friend Scott. Um, 
was one of the 12 guys who sat in the little glassy room and, like, watched them shoot the guy. It was so creepy. And he said, I mean, you know, without wading into the whole, you know, should you be shooting people or not, it's just a whole creepy thing that, yeah, they sit you in the chair, and then they put, like, a little white paper heart right in the middle of your chest. And so the guys have a thing to aim at. It's all very weird. Hmm. Human beings are just bizarre. We really are just the most bizarre, effed-up species. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, sir. Um, wouldn't we just open the door at the 122nd uh, max stop and shove them off? Yeah. That was my suggestion. <laughs> I mean, no, I I think we did actually just have that idea, but I, I do like the way you think, sir. Did it you, get missed? I mean, well, yeah, you know, I mean. Your thinking is perfectly in line with that of the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> I really do believe that you ought to be allowed to choose your own method of death. Like, what is it? Is it in the... Is it in the meaning of life? Is it what the Monty Python film where the guy chooses his own method of execution? And oh, it's, chased off the cliff. That he's was wonderful. Chased off a cliff by a bunch of huge-breasted nude women on roller skates, and yes. they, they they chase him down for a mile, and then he falls off a cliff into his grave. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't choose to go that way? No, I mean really. I mean it's uh, look. I'd like to be smothered by midgets. I'm like, well, yeah. okay, fantastic. <laughs> All right. I thought it was. I thought it was strange that your correspondent thought that dying by heroin would be, would be cruel and unusual. Well, I, mean, I was going to say, when really, that sort of seems to be a thing that a lot of people actively seek out. So. Well, it's supposed to be the most amazing painkiller. I would think it'd be a nice little goodnight kind of... Well, because it's basically... that's what. See, now we're actually discussing the death penalty, which I was just making fun oh, of. Oh, dear. Yes, yesterday, the Iranian president, today, the, the, day the, uh, today the death penalty. I was going to say that... Because heroin's basically morphine, and right. so the... It, it just seems weird, like we got all this stuff that's very that's very capable of of killing you, and so but, but of course we're never content with that. We had to go like to the lab and manufacture something that apparently doesn't work all that well. Well, whatever. It's really hard for me to like get all worked up about the fate of death penalty guys. But what are you gonna do? All right, thank okay. you, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. Right, bye now. All right. Oh, and just before we break, Scott Daly has clarified the death penalty thing. Um, so Scott Daly is sending someone to their death. Is that no? He's already done it. All right. Yeah. He said. Uh, he said, Rick, it just occurred to me, I hope the inmates at the state pen listen to your show. Just saying, I know we do have inmates that listen to us. We, every now and again, not very often, Yeah. Uh, we'll get the, and you always know the letter because it's on the bright orange paper. Uh, I know we have some, uh, they're not guards. What are they called? There's some fancy name you have to use for them now. Matrix? Correctional facility managers or <laughs> matrix. Um, anyway, so, we're done. All right, take a well, break here. When I worked in country music, I always get requests from prisons all the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, did, did they, I mean. People would get out on parole, and they'd be calling me right before they were getting arrested, and you heard the, the police come up and <laughs> haul them away live. Really? Yeah, I never had those phone calls. Okay, can I just tell you this, since we're talking about since since we're already late. Since you had a call from a guy right before you got arrested, um, this didn't happen to me, but it happened uh, down the hall, I was working. To, I was working in Utah, and this happened to a female DJ down the hall, mm -hmm. where a guy called her as he was robbing a bank. Oh, that's terrific! And he, I, don't I have think anything that good. I think they made it into some sort of a you know one of those not an unsolved mystery, but one of those you know like where they reenacted it on some true crime show. Mm -hmm. But a guy was like robbing a bank, and I swear to God, he wanted to hear Freebird. <laughs> I swear, it sounds like a dumb joke, but that's what he wanted. He called him. He's you know, is, it, is this Z93? Yes. I'm, I want to hear Freebird right now. Okay, what's up? I'm robbing a bank. You know, I'm really tense or whatever he said. And he, like, needed to mellow out because he, was, because he had a gun robbing a bank, was apparently kind of stressed about it, and decided that some Leonard Skinnerd uh, was exactly what he needed. And really, who can argue with you in that situation? I mean, who wouldn't need a little bit of relaxing? So, uh, so she played it for him, and I think they came and shot him. The end. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Tim Riley, have ye news for us? Oh, yes. Fantastic. 
Uh, that was Sarah Dillon hitting the microphone with the back of her hand. Mm, we're out. Back after this. Stay there. things you need to know. I don't even know which of these to do first. first. Okay, here's the conversation that just happened like 30 seconds ago. we got to start taping, like hang mics in the studio like Nixon style. So, Sarah just said this like 35 seconds ago. Well, I'm just sitting here, checking my email, doing whatever. We're all working, you know, and getting ready for the news hour. Sarah sort of leans back and sort of puts her, sort of puts her hand like by her navel, and Sarah says, is this where you get an ulcer? Which is a weird thing to say. I guess it's more on the side. It feels, yeah, it's like right here. Hey, is this and your right? stomach's kind of off to the side, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, so I think it's where you get in my stomach. And then Tim immediately responds with, women don't get ulcers. We, I, I don't even know which of those to address first. A, why would you ask that? If, 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 because I'm getting this sharp pain and it feels oh, kind of ulcer. burny. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, that's an ulcer. Or a tumor or a tapeworm. Or have you had a, have you had a surgery where they left an, an operating utensil inside you? No, we have that surgery. story. No. Scalpel. Have you heard that story about the woman who was uh, who found out her body was full uh, filled with pins? I got it right here. I'll read it later. Um, and then Tim. So Sarah says, "Is this where you get an ulcer?" And then Tim says, "Women don't get ulcers." Please elaborate, Tim. I have never heard of a case of a woman getting an ulcer. Is that like how women um, women don't sweat? They glisten. You know, I'm, I'm you don't not, get ulcers. Sure. You get you, you don't get ulcers. You get you know the. Whatever, some cutesy... Giant holes in your stomach. I, I'd like to hear from a physician. Tell me that women get ulcers. A cutesy southern term for that. You know, it's like you don't get the... Women don't... Uh, whatever. Women get the vapors or whatever. They don't... Uh, you know, they, they don't get the blah, blah, blah. They have to powder their nose. They don't have to urinate or something. So women don't get ulcers. They get uh, a spell. That's what you get. I've get. I have one of my spells coming on. So, okay. So apparently women don't get ulcers. Also, Siamese twins connected at the hair. Here's Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Wow, $10 for a new car sounds like a good deal. So 18-year-old Brittany Barshina went for it. Now, Brittany lives in uh, Woodburn, and police say she was arrested behind the wheel of the stolen car. She knew the price was too good to be true. Uh, she was asked if she knew the car was stolen when she bought it for $10. She figured it was. But the low price was a steal, so why not take it? Well, it didn't take too long before she was arrested. The car has been brought back to its Hubbard owner, and Barcina was taken to Marion County Jail on accusations of an authorized use of a vehicle. So I notice she got her $10 back or not. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if we've got calls about this now. Mm -hmm. I, uh... Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I would help if I hit the button. Uh, damn it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey, my sister got an ulcer last year. Ulcer? Spent <laughs> spent like a week in the hospital. Really? Yeah. I barely knew her. So, Tim, apparently this guy's sister had an ulcer. And I wouldn't lie to you, Tim. Tim's not convinced. Tim thinks it was uh, secretly something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was It was full-blown. Please submit the medical records. Yeah. Please, <laughs> please send your sister over. Thank you. <laughs> Bye now. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, first off, welcome back. Hey. My mom almost died of an ulcer eating through her stomach. Oh. Ew. 
Okay. Yeah, okay, in this case, it was true. <laughs> so Tim, Tim is now convinced. All right. Excellent. Hey, on a happier note, yeah, yeah, Fred yeah. Meyer has cases of Viso for eleven ninety nine right now. So the case. Selected Fred Meyer, yeah, but it's a mixed pack, right? That's correct. Excellent. So it's a variety pack of Viso eleven ninety nine in selected Fred Meyer locations right now. Excellent. First Thank time. you, my friend. Great day. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. Well, I hope mine was selected. All right. Well, you know, uh, I think it's like, um, isn't it like uh, it's hemophilia, I think, that women don't get, though. I think that is a thing. I could be wrong about that, but I think I think it's hemophilia that is actually a, a, a male-only thing. I think that's the thing that women don't get for some reason. Uh, you know what? I, we can move on. Here's Tim yeah. Riley. Well, more than 300,000 people have gone through the turnstiles at OMSI's Body Works 3 exhibit since its June 7th opening, shattering all visiting records. About 10,000 viewed the exhibit last weekend at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, pushing attendance past previous exhibits such as Star Wars... Giants of the Gobi and Gasology. Uh, Body Works 3 displays more than 200 human specimens, including 23 preserved and posed bodies. They all look like jerky. They're drained of bodily fluids, and then they're replaced by plastic. So hopefully they'll have uh, something else like that coming again soon. Oh, wait. Somebody, uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, women don't uh, get ulcers. They give them. Uh, oh, I uh, thought, oh, no, I, <laughs> no, no, no. Got one from my ex-wife. All right, thank you. Hey, did you get the uh, bag of swag I left for you? Uh, I have no idea. What was uh, what was the bag? I have to be honest, uh, and I and I apologize for this. I have, if anything was dropped off or sent to me in the last two weeks, it's in a huge pile of stuff on my desk and on my floor in my office that I have yet to sort of completely sort through. That's cool, as long as it's in the pile somewhere. Uh, what is, is it like an orange bag? Yeah, it's a Harley-Davidson bag. I do have that, and I apologize, and please don't think that I take that stuff for granted. I don't. Uh, it's just, it's been a very, uh, I was gone, and it's been a busy couple of days, so I have yet to sort of go through that. Uh, uh, completely understand. So, but thank you, and I will be doing that in the next day or so. So thank you in advance, my friend. You bet. There's a copy of Dig in there for Sarah. Oh, excellent. The, uh, the movie. Oh, Rob, thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. Later. All right, there you go. Thanks. That'll get rid of that, also. Yeah. All right. It really does hurt. And thanks to all the people who are writing. That's just a baby kicking. I hate you all. Oh. <laughs> kicking a hole in your stomach. Oh. Oh, by the way, uh, we're supposed to have Susan Reynolds in today for another episode of Auditory Birth Control. <gasps> yes. Uh, she's very busy today, but we're going to try to fit her in. Uh, is she having some problems with the little one again? What do you think? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Uh, so she's very busy. We're very busy. We're going to try to find a time that works. We'll try to have Susan Reynolds in here for another episode of Auditory Birth Control with Susan Reynolds. Uh, here's Tim Riley. That sounds spectacular. Yes, it does. A Portland police detective hopes to become a star. He's uh, taking part in a pilot for a national reality series. The detective also does stand up on the side. Uh. His name is Willie Halliburton. <laughs> That's not. It's true. His name is Willie Halliburton. Last week, a crew followed the detective on his partner on the job to shoot a pilot program for A&E. He is interested in uh, getting this on the air. The network told Portland officials it wanted to create a show that gives viewers insight to the humanity and personality of officers. If they're not giving somebody sweet chocolate love, I don't care. It's expected to take two months to edit it, then any officials will evaluate it to see whether or not it'll go to series. Yeah, Good luck with your pilot. Yeah. <laughs> Says the voice of jaded bitterness. <laughs> Good luck with your pilot, which will sit on a shelf for all time, never to be seen by anyone. Says Clyde Lewis. No, that was me. Oh, I know. I'm just no, no, saying I, it happens I, to everybody. I, I think Clyde and I are tied. No, yeah. We're, was, we're unsold pilots. I, uh, no, we've all... I haven't, haven't had one in the last couple of months. I... I think we've all been in things like that that were supposed to go beyond one episode, and it didn't really come together that way. Yeah. And in your case, one person died. <laughs> what? 
Didn't you record a television program where the person who was in charge of it died? Well, he disappeared. Oh. Wait, I don't even know what we're talking about now. Did somebody die? Who? Yeah. I'm going to feel really insensitive if, if, it all, if it comes to me in a second and I don't know who we're talking about. Sarah's giving me that look like, are we saying something wrong? No, I mean, there was just that scandalous guy who ran off with everybody's money. Oh, which one? Tim's ri- hold on, Tim's writing down a name. Oh, no, 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 oh, no. That was That's a different. different. One. Um, oh, that was a different pilot. <laughs> That's not a pilot. <laughs> different failed attempt at a nice and decent oh, career. Don't, don't feel bad, believe me. I, I go all the way to L.A. to, to fail. You guys stay here. <laughs> <laughs> it only cost me bus fare to fail. Um, eh, no, uh, Tim is asking about, well, I can say this. Uh, sure you can. Tim is asking me about, uh, uh, about you were talking about Sandy Barr? Yes. Of Sandy Barr's flea market swap meet wrestling thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. No, I didn't do a pilot for him. Um, oh. Boy, I'm just on the verge of... Uh, I uh, have brought it do up. I know no. the person that died? Sandy Barr was, I think, a local... He did, like, some low-budget kind of ghetto wrestling thing around here. And then he ran. He runs Sandy Barr's, like, junk palace, whatever it is, like a swap market, flea market thing. Um, He was kind of the Tor Johnson of Portland. The Tor Johnson of Portland. Um... If only I had a Tor Johnson line to say in response to that. I heard you were becoming a lady. <laughs> Best show ever. Um, I don't even know what we're doing. We're talking about Tor Johnson. Well, I'm just going to say this. Sandy Barr passed away, and so any and all uh, outstanding, uh, any and all outstanding uh, talent fees or monies that were owed to anybody by Sandy Barr that may have already been outstanding, that may have been overdue by a long time already, will apparently now never be paid. Let's just put it that way. Um, you're thinking, Sarah and I are thinking about that uh, poker television show we did. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to that? Well, we moved on, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, there, there are other people in shows who should be discussing. For instance, tonight is the uh, premiere of the Storm Large show. Okay. Ooh. She's in Cabaret. And is that... Oh, we should call her. Portland Center Stage it is. Uh, tonight. 7.30. Okay. All right. And so that is... Um, uh, so Portland Center Stage tonight, Cabaret, mm-hmm. uh, Storm Large. Uh, and so that is... It's the premiere of that is tonight. And yeah. uh, tickets, I guess, available at... Um, I think it's PortlandCenterStage.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you go to StormLarge.com, I'm sure that there is information there. So uh, we're a big supporter of Storm and all that uh, she does. So, uh, yeah, you should check that out. And then, after that, coming up in October, Lou Diamond Phillips. Really? The star of stage and screen. That's fantastic. Will wear the crown and the masterpiece of Camelot. He sings in it, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm snorting again. Lou... Lou Diamond let's, Phillips. Let's just take all of the he, surreal. He starred in La Bamba 20 years ago. And La also, Bamba. No, no, no. And also, in, he starred in La Bamba. Let's see if we can do two, uh, three more movies. Oh, come on. Not just two. Three. Can anybody do three more Lou Diamond guns. Phillips films? Young Guns. Yeah, that's one. Stand and Deliver. Was he in Stand and Deliver? Yeah. He okay. was one of the stars. With Edward James almost? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's a great film. Also, great. he was in Bats about four Bats. years ago. Bats. Was you were just holding that bats in your back pocket. Just I so you was. Could say it. I was holding it bat. The uh, the logo was capital B, and then the A was hanging upside down, as though it were a bat. Uh, and it was like arachnophobia, but it was like a batnophobia kind of a thing. It was terrible. Terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. at the Keller Auditorium. Yeah. You can see Lou Diamond Phillips for as little as twenty six dollars. Really? Yeah. For thirty. Plus, you can come up with some other tickets somewhere. <laughs> People are going to be scalping Lou Diamond. Scotty, we should get him on the air. 
It's a great idea. Scotty? Probably has the same manager as Scott Bale. Get me Lou Diamond Phillips. Right away. We won't take no for an answer. Stat. Give me... I'm going to end all my requests today with stat. Scotty, please to be getting his Lou Diamond Phillips stat. Do you know that when Tina Yavis was sitting here, she was pregnant? <laughs> stat. Um, what? When Tina Yavis was sitting on that bench, she was pregnant. Oh, because somebody told me, because was it you that said she had a baby or Dave Zinn? I think Dave Zinn. So she was pregnant uh, even when she, we talked to her. She was with child. She didn't admit it. Say. Was that nine months ago? Or was really? that more than nine months ago? Oh, was it ago? more? I don't know. Well, she more look, than maybe not. I mean, she did. Uh, she did look. Uh, she did look good, though. She didn't. Uh, you know, she didn't seem pregnant at the time. Well, whatever. Anyway, so congratulations, Tina Yothers. So, not only do we get Storm Lars, we get Lou Diamond Phillips coming in. Good gracious with their stage presence. Yeah. Uh, Northeast Portland woman said the police don't investigate that that's her purse. She's going to do it herself. Marjorie Hull was uh, Hull was shopping at the uh, Winco grocery store on Northeast 122nd. What did she expect when somebody stole her purse? Uh, police officers took a report, but they asked the store for the surveillance video because perch snatching is not considered a violent crime. It probably is in Northeast 122nd. To me, it's not just a perch snatching. Once they get your credit cards, your social security cards. Well, Winko says it's against store policy to give surveillance video Winko. directly to customers uh-huh. or the media. She'll go to Multnomah County Court and get a subpoena for that footage. I really am astounded that there was a, uh, a perch snatching. Mm-hmm. At Northeast 122nd. Stunned. I never could have seen that coming. Well, there's a flasher out there, and please watch your help in finding him. Uh, man exposed himself. It seems like that should be pretty straightforward, uh-huh. so to speak. It seems like that should, I'm sorry. It seems like that ought to be pretty easy. Uh-huh. Let's see. No penis, no penis, no penis. Showing me his penis. No penis, no penis. I mean, how hard can it be to find the flashing guy? Well, he, he was running after a woman jogger saying, hey, wait, look, look, look. <laughs> he was in, within six feet of her. Then he ran to his car, and she started screaming for help. There were no witnesses. This happened at Wood Village yesterday. Really? really? Did it? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It did. <laughs> Wood Village. So Matt exposed himself at Wood Village. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're the, just retards. The flasher was wearing all black clothing and a black baseball cap at the time of the incident. He was last seen driving away in a two-door green sedan or a green spoiler. With <laughs> a green spoiler. It could have been a Honda. The choice of... Uh, Flashers everywhere. <laughs> all right. So there you go. If you're in Wood Village, uh, which is, I guess, sort of like being in Rip City, uh, look out for the uh, look out for the penis guy. Watch out for the penis. Anyway, uh... yes. Should I move on here? Nothing. I'm just standing here. <laughs> this means talking about the president of uh, Iran. Seriously, let's go back to the death penalty. All right, here's Jim Riley. Well, this is the most interesting thing today. How would you like to buy a missile silo? More than anything, it's for sale. Uh, the asking price is $1.5 billion, and it's on eBay. I think I know about this place. I think Will Price, who is the IT guy over at the Coin Center, who was our uh, tech guy for a long time over there, mm-hmm. um, I think he, of course, because he's, you know, he's kind of a military enthusiast, uh, I think he was the one who brought this to my attention. Like, you know, you can buy a military silo for just $1.4 million on 1. eBay. $1.5 now. Oh, really? That's where there must be a bid. If, if you go to my blog, there's pictures of it, and it's, then there's a link where you can bid on is it. Is there a buy it now feature so I can just There's buy not buy it bidding? now. Oh, that's too bad. But it describes everything you have to do to get it, Okay. Which, which isn't very easy. I think there's a huge down payment uh, relating to this. How cool would that be, by the way, if you were uh, like a radio station, you know, and if you had some guy, a lot of, like a Paul Allen guy, and you just bought him as you broadcast the live? silo. Seriously, you're listening to KSLO, the silo, and just broadcast from deep inside a bomb silo. That would be badass. So anyway, this goes back to the 1950s. It's for sale 
on the 57-acre Larson Air Force Base. Uh, let's see. It includes 16 underground buildings and three 160-foot missile towers. It really is amazing. Uh, I know it sounds dorky to be talking about how cool a bomb, a bomb silo is, but when you think a bomb silo, you just think like a bomb-shaped hole in the ground, like a, like an underground grain silo or something. It's not. It's a whole underground. It's neat. It's like imagine if you took this this CBS building that we're in right now, tripled it in size, and put the whole thing underground. I mean, it's an entire underground, I don't want to say city, but it's an underground network of buildings. It really is fascinating. This I mean, is it a would... Titan ICBM uh, facility. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a huge, huge office building that is compl- that is like, you know, half a mile underground with a bomb silo attached to it. I mean, it's amazing. It really it's is very It's Moses cool. Lake and Ritzville. I didn't know it was there. I thought it was in Colorado or someplace. No, no, no. Really? This is another one. You're kidding me. Yeah. It's on my blog. You can go look at it. Ten minutes from Interstate 90, one and a half hours west of Spokane, 57 acres more or less. 16 underground buildings, including three 160-foot tall missile silos. That is so great. Three four-story equipment terminal buildings, two antenna silos, 100-foot diameter control dome building. Oh, that sounds fun. 125-foot diameter power dome building. The terms, $300,000 down. The balance is 7% interest. But it's all due in three years. Serious parties only. It'd have to be. No tours, please. The facility is also available for lease, probably for weddings and private parties. That is so great that it's between Ritzville and Moses Lake, mm-hmm. two places where I've spent a lot of time growing up. I'm looking at this right here. You go to uh, Tim Riley's blog. You can get there via rickemerson.com. Uh, and she, she answered, cool. the owner answers some questions in it, too. I want to total, I want to get this person uh, on the air. Uh, no tours, blah, blah, blah. Scotty, so either this person or Lou Diamond Phillips, please. Scotty, how do I get Lou Diamond Phillips? Hey, Scotty, there's a um, there's a phone number and a contact info at, on this eBay page for the bomb asylum. Now, it's important for you to know all the 1950s vintage equipment was removed 40 years oh, ago. Oh, that sucks. I know. The buildings are mostly empty and will need to be remodeled. Two of the missile silos have 90 feet of rocket-holding structure. So if you have a rocket, you're in luck. Uh, so our treatment facilities have been designed and installed. The zoning is for commercial and industrial with few restrictions. Yeah, it really is. It, that's one of those things that if I was a jillionaire and had a FU money, as they say, I would totally buy that just to say I owned one. So it was decommissioned in the mid-1960s. It's easy access, big stairs, big cargo elevator. For, for your fat bomb shelter enthusiast, mm-hmm. bomb asylum or missile asylum. So it's about four to five hours to the Seattle area. You know, and when the coming zombie holocaust happens, that's going to be the only safe place. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, hey. I have three words for you. Yes, sir. War Games 2. So what happens is Matthew Broderick ends up with the uh, $1.5 million missile silo. Yes. He'd need a wide elevator these him. days. And, and, like, something happens that, like, the... The Cold War computers come on yeah. and have targeted that as an actual um, military objective, this decommissioned silo, because, you know, the computers are all archaic. And- Maybe. Or how about this? How about this? Uh, it, War, the War Games sequel, and by the way, I think War Games 2 is technically two words, not three, but that's okay. I, I, I'm not going to hold it against you. Also, how about this, though? How about for the War Games sequel, so Matthew Broderick has this missile silo, and then... Uh, blah 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 blah. They're not. The computers haven't been updated for. Wait for it. Y2K. And so when he turns them on, they freak out. They don't know what time it is. They you know, what year it is. They think it's still the Cold War. Da 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 da. Bam. They start to launch missiles at something. See, that'd be good times. And they, and he would be like, 
when he walks up to buy the thing, he would be assured that these missiles have been decommissioned. Of course, yeah. And, and you know, they've taken all the, the uh, military-grade, weapons-grade plutonium or whatever the kids are putting in their ICBMs these days, uh, taking it out. But it's going to still launch, launch the missiles, missiles and uh, provoke, you know, World War, whatever you want to call it. I, that's a great so, idea. Really, a war game sequel does seem like a fantastic idea. I mean, you know what I mean? Because especially now, so we wouldn't have to be watching, you know, Hackers, you know, and Hackers 2 and all that crap. Well, as long as they didn't pull, like, an Iron Eagle sequel and kill off my, uh, kill off um, Matthew Broderick, you know, in the first 15 minutes of the show. I'm so sorry, just Matthew Broderick is there. not Iron Eagle. Uh, I'm sorry. No, J- I know, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm sorry, Jason Gedrick, your contract has not been renewed. Correct. Iron Eagle. Way to go for the Iron Eagle reference. Can I tell you, I have seen the original Iron Eagle probably a hundred times. I mean, I know that's not a thing to be proud of. It's just sort of a sad fact about my life. It's your go-to movie. Well, I, that, that Iron Eagle soundtrack was semi-solid at the time. Iron it was Eagle. One of, the first, yeah. one of the first CDs I got. Iron Eagle had um, the Iron Eagle soundtrack had uh, Rainbow in the Dark. Had Rainbow in the Dark. It had One uh, One Vision by Queen. Uh-huh, that uh huh. That was one. Never say die. Iron Eagle. Never huh? say die. I think it had um, uh, God. What is that? It, it was Alice Cooper. I got a line on you. I think by Alice Cooper might have been on there. I might be wrong about that though. Um, and I mean, if you if you watch the Iron Eagle film, there was just oh, we're not going to take it. By Twisted Sister was in that movie. Uh, and then of course it had Lou Gossett Jr. And how can nobody confront on Lou Gossett right. Jr.? It's fantastic. Well, if they had Iron Eagle now, he would no longer have the Walkman. He would have some sort of iPod-related thing strapped to his leg. Totally, totally. It is. Hey, this is. Well, God, what did what did that line his father? Um, what's that line the father says to him when he lands and he's you know he's been up there rocking out to uh, to Ike and Tina Turner singing Proud Mary and the dad says you know, this is a training mission. This is not a rock concert. This is not an audition for the Thunderbirds. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> Such a tool. All right. Thank you. Bye now. All right. Well, this goes five stories below ground. There are no computers. Living underground would be a personal choice. Well, of course. This would be a great spa, retreat, camp, resort. I'd love to live underground, actually. Just I'm such a big fan of, av- of avoiding natural light and the sun. Um, they like, will not post pictures of the interior. Because I know that you guys are... See, you guys would probably prefer that we have uh, windows down here and natural light. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, see, and I'm not. See, I'm with... I, I love the fact... I know this makes me sound weird. I love the fact that there are no windows and there's no natural light. Um, because it makes it effectively a time-free zone so that my body clock... Like a Vegas casino. Exactly, because that way my body clock can't get thrown off by, or my mood... I mean, it, sounds, it just makes me sound dumb, but it, my, you know, it's your mood gets thrown off by the light and the weather, and if it's rainy or if it's sunshiny, and this way it's like a, it's like a mood-controlled environment. It is exactly like a casino. Yeah, because, there's a, because the, the lighting and whatever is always... The, the weather and the lighting are always the same in this room, so I can't be sort of thrown off by that. Now I'm just thinking about Iron Eagle the best movie. You're coming up on Devil's Face. That's where Jimmy Branson bought it. Why do I even know these things? Why am I such a loser? Somebody has to. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, I love your show. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, did you leave out Disorganized Crime? I'm sorry? Blue Diamond Phillips, Disorganized Crime. Was that the... Oh, no, I'm thinking of Disorderlies with the Fat Boys. Oh, okay. No, what is that? Oh, Disorganized Crime, um... Big Frankenstein dude from the Munsters. Fr- Fred uh, Gwynn? <laughs> Big Frankenstein dude from the Munsters. Yeah, it was the yeah, Frank, Fr- Fred Gwynn, but I mean, what, yeah, was, what yeah. was the plot? Oh, uh, they all meet out in the middle of nowhere to disorganizedly rob this bank, and it all goes to hell, and Lou Diamond Phillips plays the young cocky kid in it. Of course. 
Of course. If you is. haven't seen that movie, it's it's hilarious. All right, I'll I'll put it on my to do list. Do it. All right. <laughs> he's all sir. Do it now. Thank you, sir. All right, thank all right, you. He's all he's completely like diehard about it. Yes, do it now. Oh, by the way, um, uh, Portland Center Stage, PCS.org. I apologize for giving that out incorrectly. It is PCS, Portland Center Stage, PCS.org. And if you go there, there's a creepy photo of Storm right on the front page. Is so, it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not creepy. I mean, it's just she's very, because um, it is, uh, you know, it's because it was like 1930s Berlin or something. Isn't that the deal with cabaret? Yeah. So she's, the, her makeup is very, very intense. She's you've got a very... I was going to say very cabaret look to her, but I guess it's redundant. I think um, that'll be a good role for her. I really do. It is. No, I mean, it's, it, she looks really cool. It's just, you know, she looks kind of a little little freaky. Mm-hmm. Sort of a, kind of a vampiric sort of makeup thing she's got going on. All right, so that PCS.org, uh, if you want to get tickets to see Storm Large in Cabaret, which opens tonight. So, uh, Well, let's do this final call, and then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, that, that complex has three missile silos? Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. But it... it Missile Command, man. Do you like your real-life Missile Command? Real-life Missile Command. Let me ask you this question about Missile Command. Okay. Do you, was it your experience in Missile Command? Because I think that this is a universality. Is it your experience with Missile Command that inevitably, no matter what your strategy, no matter what your skill level at Missile Command, inevitably, what you always had to do at the end was you had to do this horrible, like, triaging where you picked one city that you just hunkered down to defend and you just had to let the others get snuffed? Absolutely, and those bastard airplanes that come on and then drop merds, and uh, then you were just screwed. Totally, and it's like, and you always felt bad. It was like you had Chicago, New York, and L.A., and you at the end of the game, you always just had to pick one of them to defend and just had to let the others fall to the Ruskies. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, thank you, sir. Thanks. All right, there you go. Uh, take a break here. Back after this with more Inanity. Uh, Tim Riley continues with uh, the new news hour around the corner. Later on, Darwin Watch today. Uh the hell else? Oh, Geek Watch. Uh, maybe a Cannibal Watch later. Uh, Jim Roop and Ed McCarthy. You say there's the Rick Emerson Show on AM 970. Solid State Radio. Don't go anywhere. Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming by. 503-733-2970. And whatnot. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So we're going to talk about the uh, Halo 3 for all you kids in just a minute. But first, we have a Darwin watch. A here's double. your Darwin. A double, really? Yeah. Fantastic. Here's your Darwin watch uh, for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I have a feeling some bad stuff is about to go down. Don't, don't, don't. I Activities of those wholesome country folk are in the uh, rural parts of Oregon. This goes out to Boardman. A pipe bomb exploded in a farm shop near Boardman, killing its builder. Okay. The device is similar to, but smaller than the ones that uh, have been used to kill American troops in Iraq. When the device detonated, a fireball coupled with shrapnel is what impacted the deceased. (laughs) 
<laughs> what impacted? That's like when we had the uh, the death the, the the death row thing was talked about. The area of intensive management mm-hmm. impacted the deceased. Excellent. Well, 29-year-old John Paradiso was building bombs, apparently to blow up vehicles, so he could use the metal to be sold as scrap. <laughs> Let me repeat that again. He was building bombs to blow up vehicles so the metal could be used to be sold as scrap. Now he's being sold as scrap to the local coroner. I was going to say, now, who's being parted out like an old Impala now, sir? Local and federal authorities <laughs> believe he was using gunpowder from old 50 caliber ammunition and bullet fragments. Well done. Shrapnel pierced the shop's <laughs> aluminum siding and struck parked vehicles outside. And it, it also probably pierced his non-aluminum chest. A man in the building with Paradiso helped to extinguish his burning friend. <laughs> but it was too late. The explosion also ignited a second bomb, but it didn't explode. He didn't build that quite as well. <laughs> Better luck next They time. found a third bomb, though. <laughs> and the deceased had filled out mostly with fireworks because he ran out of everything else. And the state police bomb squad quickly destroyed that one. <laughs> Wonderful. Help to extinguish his burning friend. <laughs> Say hello to my burning friend. <laughs> Oh, These wonderful. wholesome country folks. That just really is fantastic. Salt we, of the earth. I am so, I really am so grateful. Uh, that the, we live where we live. Yeah, that the entertainment given to us by the outlying areas here, the hinterlands mm-hmm. in the northwest. The red zones of the state. <laughs> it really is true. Uh, it just, you know, there's just no extinguishing that comedy value. Well, we can try her for the story from Texas, but they don't match our rednecks. Yeah. A man who was wearing a weight belt, but no underwear breathing apparatus, drowned at a golf course after diving into a, a water hazard to retrieve <laughs> golf balls. So no so no ability to breathe underwater, but he made sure to strap himself with weights before he jumped in. Right. Uh, the 36-year-old man and his cousin were working for Houston-based uh, golf ball collection firm, Springer Golf Ball Company, diving into a long, narrow hazard on the fourth hole of the Padres Island Country Club. Uh, they're withholding identities right now. <laughs> really? The dead man was found in about eight feet of water. Pronounced dead at the scene. There's no evidence of internal injuries, though the man was apparently having chest pain. <laughs> I wonder why. Both men were wearing wetsuits and weight belts, but no underwater breathing apparatus. <laughs> Wait, I don't have anything to breathe with. Okay, but before you go in, let me strap you with lead. It's, it's purely accidental. We have no evidence <laughs> yeah. of foul play. What? Alcohol or drugs, they didn't need it. What kind of... <laughs> That that only would have impeded, that only would have slowed down the process of killing themselves. They were collecting balls so they could be cleaned and returned to the club. What kind of a strange turn has your life taken when you're working for a golf ball collection firm? Mm -hmm. That's like your primary source of income. That is so great. And the idea that when they went to the store, they had a list of things to buy with which they would begin their golf ball collecting enterprise. Let's see, I need a lot of weights that cement me to the bottom of the pool. What else do I need? Something to breathe with? No, that's not it. It's uh, oh, Kool-Aid. Yeah, okay. Well done. Yeah, it's a little bit of nature taking out the trash twice in one week. There's your Darwin watch uh, for Tuesday on the Eric Emerson Show. Wonderful. Fantastic. Here's Tim Riley. Okay, you kids, you waited long enough. Let's talk about the Halo 3 launch. Oh, wait, we should do a geek watch for this. Oh, I, I would say so. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, here's your geek watch. Ugh, this high-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Queen Sergeant Lemon, I remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but because we were wondering if the quantum flux... Now, just listen, I'm there here. is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Energize. 
What a savings. Here's Jim Riley. This is also a two-part spectacular, too. Uh, let's see. The Halo 3 launch is now underway. Sounds like a construction site, doesn't it? This is natural sound effects of the Halo launch. That's actual. Oh, that, oh they must be playing, because we were doing the thing last night. Uh, oh, I, so you're familiar with this sound. Well, they, they yes. Well, because in, we, we should maybe later on, let me see, where did I put that? Uh, maybe later we'll do uh, an old episode of the Xbox Files. Um, we'll do that today. Uh, featuring the booby doctor. Uh, the um, But they were doing that thing at Circuit City. I ended up not going last night, and... Um, so I've had to hear from people who were there, mm. uh, but they were doing the thing of playing Halo 3 in the big screen. So that's, uh, I believe that is the sound of the submachine gun from Halo 3, but I could be wrong about that. Well, Microsoft's own Bill Gates was treated like a rock star when he made a surprise appearance at Best Buy in Bellevue, where some 500 gamers are waiting for the release of Halo 3. That's a whole lot of not getting laid right there. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I mean, just unbelievably. And it is, I think, the mark of a true geek. If you, as somebody, somebody once said this, and it's really true. If you understand why Bill Gates is is both great and terrible, he I mean, was one of those kids. Yeah, I'm gonna say, as much as people make fun of Microsoft, if you know why Bill Gates, as somebody said, if you know why he is both God and the devil simultaneously, that really is, I think, a mark of geekdom because those guys just love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lucky 17-year-old bought the first game and met Bill Gates. I feel amazing right now. Bill Gates is my hero, so to be able to have that right there, that was just yeah. amazing. Excellent. Well, look, I, I will say that I've, I've probably told the story, but I, my, my friend Todd and I, sitting outside of Bill Gates' house in our car, uh, we, we had gone to... My friend Todd and I, this is years ago, uh, we were living in Washington, and we were trying to get a job at a Seattle radio station, which did not pan out, and it never does. And um, so, uh, but we had gone to Seattle for this interview at a, at a, at a, a, a Seattle radio station, blah, 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 blah. But while we were there, it's while Bill Gates was building that huge underground house of his. And he hadn't moved in yet. The house is still under construction. And so we knew he was no, there was no chance he was going to be there, but we just wanted to see where Bill Gates was going to live. So we just we were in his car, Todd's car. We just drove up. Because it was, you know, we knew the address. Somebody told us, or it was in the paper or whatever. And so we drove up to where they were building Bill Gates' house. We pulled up, and it was like 9 in the morning. And the construction guy's there, and we just said, hey, is it Mr. Gates' house? And the guy said, yep. And we went, cool. And then we just sat there for about 10 minutes and just stared at it. I mean, which is really great and dumb when you think about it. I mean, Bill Gates didn't live there. He wasn't going to live there for like a year. They weren't even done building the foundation. It was just guys laying like brick or something. And we just sat there and stared at the house, just so entranced by the fact that we were out front of where Bill Gates would someday live, because we were just so enamored of that guy. So he is he is really great. You're so microsurfs come to life. No, I mean, he is, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? He looms large in the in the geek culture, in the cultural consciousness period, but I think especially if you're nerdy in any way. Um, so, yeah, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Bill Gates answered if he has played Halo 3. Uh, I was just playing over at the Bundy studio. And? I'm not very good. I gotta gotta work on it. I need more time. There are plenty of screaming fans. Yeah! Yeah! yeah. yeah. More fan screams. Oh, Halo, Halo 3! Halo 3! Halo 3. Halo 3. Our hero. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, he's the dissenter. The guy, the contrarian in the background. 
They love playing the new game. After the new graphics and everything, I was so much better on the 360 now. The controls are better. Yeah, the controls. controls are better. Yars Revenge! Uh, okay. Well, there you go. I don't have Halo 3. I don't... I don't... I talked about this at length that I just I I am still um, I'm still rocking the old Xbox. I don't have the Xbox 360, which is of course required uh, to play Halo 3. And I just yeah, I don't know I don't know I just maybe it's just that I don't know maybe it's an age thing maybe it's a thing I just don't have time maybe it's I'm reluctant to let myself do it because I know that it's going to suck my life away. But I just I didn't go stand in line for it and I just I'm. I don't know. I'm really torn about whether I'm going to do it or not. I mean, I, I guess I will eventually, but I, I just remember because what Halo Two was, what was it, like three years ago, something like that, two and a half years ago. It was just a, I think it was like 2000. God, I should know this. It was like 2004 or whatever. I just remember though, just hours and hours and just my whole life just spiraling down the drain. Just do it. I remember it was the year that I went to San Francisco for Christmas. So what year, do you remember when that was, Sarah, what year I went to San Francisco for Christmas? It would have been 2004, I think. I think we were still working. Uh, you talked about we it on were, the air. We were employed. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember when you went to New York. I don't remember San Francisco. It was San, remember we were that. working at Intercom. He went to an empty church. Yeah, yeah, I did. And where the, where the preacher said, some of us want a savior that will chew our food. Uh, that was, that was. Remember? And you were the only person listening. Yeah. No, and it was like, it was, yeah, the church was empty and everybody, the people who were there were like 100 years old. Anyway. You know, we don't really remember those years very much. I know, it's a blur. Uh, anyway, but so I, but I remember uh, we went on vacation I can even remember the level, I can remember the actual, the level I was on, the screen I was on, because I was playing Halo 2 every night for just hours. I mean, just hours. And I was on this one level that I will just never, ever forget. And it was, it's a, like a big warehouse, and there's these two huge robotic things that come through a wall, and you got to destroy them, and they shoot these green plasma things at you, and it's just, it's crazy. And, I mean, it took me probably a week and a half to get past this one level. And I remember halfway through that, like, it probably took me eight days to get through this, this, this certain level on Halo 2. And about halfway through that eight-day period, my wife's like, okay, it's time to leave and go on Christmas vacation to San Francisco, one of the greatest cities in the world where they have world-class cuisine and, you know, wonderful landmarks and a fantastic culture to observe. And we're going to be staying in great accommodations. And I'm just, and it was just agonizing. Like, I just didn't want to leave. I'm like, I'm not going to Halo 2. And I remember just shutting it down and saving the game. And all through vacation, it was just in the back of my brain like some sort of um, electronic tapeworm. You know, just tell me, you got to get back and finish Halo 2. And um, anyway, so I, it, it, my whole life just went on hold uh, while, I, while I played that game. So I, in a way, I think it is for the best that I have not been sucked into the Halo 3 thing right now. Because I would, cause I'd be doing what Seamus is. Seamus, he told me, I'm going to go home and play until my eyes bleed. I mean, that's what I would be doing right now. I wouldn't even be here. I'd just be feigning some sort of illness so I could be at home. Anyway, so there you go. So there's Halo 3. Um, I, by the way, we will not, 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 underline not, be revealing any of the Halo 3 spoilers that have been coming in today. And seriously, for the love of Christ, look, I understand, you know, video game enthusiasm, but, I mean, it's, it's only like 1 p.m. The game only came out 13 hours ago. For people to be emailing me in and telling me spoilers about the end of Halo 3... Is really a little extreme. I mean, let it be stopped. I mean, honestly, that's. I mean, you gotta stop. You gotta go. You gotta stop and go. You know, void your bowels occasionally. I would think you gotta go sponge yourself off once in a while. The idea that someone has actually finished the game by now and is now already sending me spoilers about the end of Halo Three, which spoilers which I will not reveal, is. I mean, 
Well, whatever. It is what makes this the greatest country in the world. I will tell you that. All right. Uh, do we have more Halo 3 sound, or is that it? Well, we have another uh, part of the Geek ah, Watch. Here's another two. part of the Geek Watch. A Batman special effects man is killed. A special effects technician working on the new Batman movie was killed with a vehicle he was in crashed while on a stunt test run. This happened offset. There was no filming taking place. The victim was on a camera track, which was following a stunt vehicle, believed to have been the Batmobile. This happened in England. A Warner Brothers uh, spokesman said in the statement, There was a fatal accident at the special effects facility for Batman, the Dark Knight. That was it. Uh, Warner Brothers pictures and the entire cast and crew of the Dark Knight are deeply saddened by this tragedy, and their hearts and prayers go out to the family and loved ones of the deceased. So now we can uh, we can begin the discussion about the, uh, the you know the Batman curse. Be like the poltergeist curse. Batman stars Kristen Bale, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, and Morgan Freeman. Uh, that, who, when is that coming out? Anybody know? This next summer. Is it next summer? Is it 2008? Yeah. All right. I have uh, I mean not to the extent that Sarah has, but I've been you know watching the the online the viral unfolding of various elements of that movie, which uh, I don't know. I'm still of two minds about the Heath Ledger thing. I. Here's the thing: is, is the all is all I'm going to say about Heath Ledger is the Joker is it, he's going to be worlds better than Jack Nicholson because how could he not be? Because Jack Nicholson was a, it was just off the in my estimation, and I'm not like a huge comic fan, but just as a sort of casual fan of Batman, who is the greatest of all so-called superheroes. Um, what I don't really I don't know because the thing with with Heath Ledger is correct me if I'm wrong, Jack Nicholson, his uh, Joker. The deal is he fell into the toxic waste and then came out with green hair and white skin, right? Mm -hmm. But it, with Heath Ledger, it, it, it is actually makeup. In other words, they're not pretending that his skin is white. It, the character of the Joker himself paints his face white. So and I don't know which is accurate. I don't know which one is, is true to the comic book. Because Heath Ledger's Joker looks well, the like... the skin underneath the makeup, though, is kind of modeled. It looks um, so not I'm, normal. So I'm unclear about whether the character of the Joker applies makeup. And I know this sounds like, I realize now as I'm discussing this, it sounds like just the dumbest point to be hung up on. But I'm unclear about whether the character of the Joker has white skin or whether he just applies face paint as part of his overall craziness. I guess it doesn't matter, and I'm going to quit talking about this right now. There you go. There's your double geek watch. And we're done. My grandfather's hammer by the sons of war. What a savings. I shall avenge you. Next. Loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. All right. Uh, well, let's do one more, and then we'll break, and we'll come back with Ed McCarthy, plus uh, more. Plus, are you ready to tell your New York story? No, yeah. oh, I want to hear that. All right, so we'll do that. We'll do one more break, Ed McCarthy, and then we'll all hear Sarah tell her story about the, I don't know, be, the being, a, I don't know, beaten savagely or whatever in the uh, in Gotham. Here's Tim Riley. Claire Channel Communications has approved a $19.5 billion buyout of the nation's biggest station owner more than 10 months after the deal was proposed. The office uh, comes, uh, the office of the private equity firm Thompson H. Lee Partnership LP and Bain Capital Partners LP. That's a bunch of fun-loving guys. Have first announced that they have sweetened the deal. And now, in the latest offer, it's 39.20 per share in cash or stock. Current shareholders end up with as much as 30% of the new privately held company. So what does that mean to anyone? Nobody. Nobody works there anymore anyway. I was so just going to say. It I, means nothing to anyone working there. It doesn't, doesn't affect anybody. The same automation systems will uh, remain plugged in. Attention, robots. You have slightly new ownership. The same dead air. <laughs> it will continue. It's the same inability to warn people when there's an iodine spill in your town mm -hmm. or whatever the hell that was. Just cater to people over 50. They're the only ones left. Right. Rick, it, uh, this email says, uh, Pony up the dollars, you skin flint. In addition to Halo 3, there's Guitar Hero 3. See, that's another reason. It's, uh, 
it's sort of like um, it's sort of like Jack Lemon in the days of Wine and Roses. You know what I mean? When it, 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 it's like everywhere he goes, he just sees signs that say bar, tavern, liquor, mm-hmm. buy some booze. You know, and he's out there in the garden with Lee Remick hiding bottles of scotch or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Had just just the amount of time I spent playing Guitar Hero over at Aaron's that day, uh, while our respective wives sat at the uh, you know sat at the kitchen table and looked at us with a mixture of humor and scorn. I mean, it just terrifies me. And then Rock Band is coming out uh, in November. And anyway, I just can't. Uh, I don't think I can go down that road. Uh, we should take a break here. We'll come back. J- uh, Jim Rupp later on. Ed McCarthy next. More from Tim Riley, Sarah Dillon's New York Stories, and the top five uh, songs from October 15th, 1977, which is the week of release of the original Atari 2600. Stay there. Back after this. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. In mere moments, we're joined by Ed McCarthy, CNN radio correspondent. I just got to read this about the, uh, the Joker. Aaron the Geek weighs in, says, As a member of good standing with the order of the bat, I have all your Joker information, Rick. As accepted within the Batman canon, the Joker has bleached white skin as a result of a chemical bath he took during a botched robbery when he was known as the Red Hood at the hands of Batman. This also caused his green hair and disfigured grin, although some comics would later retcon his green as a result of a wild gunshot. In the new Dark Knight film, I'm not sure what path they're going. And then he says, It doesn't matter. The movie's going to kick so much ass that not even stuntmen can survive its awesomeness. Signed, sorry, too soon. Uh, Aaron Geek in the city. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the room. From the South. CNN radio correspondent of the stars, Ed McCarthy. Why, hello, Ed. How are you, Mike? Rick, how are you, stranger? How are you? It's been a long time. We were uh, we were gone, I don't know, what, uh, seven, eight, nine days, something like that. We were gone. How is life in uh, the world of McCarthy? Oh, it was good. Actually, I was gone for uh, about 14, so that was good, too. See, so, it, so, it, so we, we did not have to uh, feel the pain of parting for too long. Isn't that something? It is. Uh, let me, uh, first of all, <laughs> I'm going to say this up front. Uh, we are officially on this program done talking about Michael Vick. I'm just going to let you know that. Because the guy couldn't, I mean, he couldn't be more, as Dennis Miller said about Larry Craig, he could not be more gone if he had never existed. So he's he's sort of finished and over. I'm just going to say this, that the only question I have for you about that is, and I know that this sounds really flip and trivial in light of everything, but I know it's really pertinent to you. I mean, for the, if you're a sports fan down there, though, you've got to just sort of be hanging your head and just sort of asking God what you did to displease him. Well, you know, the Falcons have always been like that. And, you know, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, Michael Vick has not exactly had two of the best seasons back-to-back anyway. Yeah, he was distracted. It could have been. Could have been, you know. And then uh, we have uh, another problem this week, you know, to, to get back to the, the Michael Vick thing. You know, there was uh, two more uh, uh, charges and indictments uh, handed up today in Virginia. So now we get state charges on top of the other. But, you know, they've got a, a new coach, and they've got a guy on the team that's an absolute moron in the secondary. <laughs> and what, what did he do? They get into a big argument with the referees and with uh, the Carolina Panthers players Sunday. He basically cost them the game. 
in, in about a span of about two and a half minutes, he, he was uh, self-responsible for uh, 69 yards and penalties. Well done. Well, that's got to be some sort of a record. That's almost perversely admirable. I mean, I, mean, I haven't seen anybody get suspended <laughs> around here, you know, for going off the handle like that. You know what I mean? I mean, really, you, you do have to – I mean – 69 yards in penalties is almost, you almost want to say, like, well, well done, you know, because it's all, it's all, you really have to put your nose to the grindstone to get yeah. that. He, he imploded, and uh, uh, they lost the game together. Because well, they had stopped the drive, and then all of a sudden he started up, and that was it. They get the ball back, they score a touchdown, game over. So anyway, enough of that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to waste my Sundays, uh, you know, wrapping myself around these guys on Sunday. So you're right. We are damned upset down here. Yeah, just, it's not even worth the investment of your time at this point. No, it isn't. Uh, well, let's talk about this uh, this nutcase, this polygamous guy. Yeah. Uh, what now? What is what is the guy's name? And the only reason I ask that is because I lived in Utah for a while, and there is a whole weird culture in the outlying areas there. You always hear it whispered about and talked about, and occasionally. And I've I've talked about this. People think that it's a joke, but I have talked about if you go to um, any bulk foods store and again it sounds like a joke but if you go to a costco or something in salt lake or in utah especially if you get out in st george and if you get out and do uh you know the, 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 the sandy in these places that you'll see uh women shopping there who are very clearly from polygamist families and it's sort of an open secret it's a thing that people know about they don't really talk about it publicly but it's just sort of understood uh-huh. uh and some of the families are really notorious there's a great book that, that some of us here on the show have read called under the banner of heaven by a guy named john krakauer which is a really brilliant examination of just these crazy fundamentalist polygamous nutcases who live in the outskirts of Utah. Uh, and some of them are, are really uh, just, really just terrible people. They're just, very, just, just brutal and flouting all kinds of laws about child endangerment. And uh, So who, who is this guy who's on trial, and what is have they got a verdict? or what? Yeah, Warren Jeffs, at any moment, uh, oh, Warren. 4.15 Eastern, we were supposed to be getting the uh, the verdict. So we'll be getting it very, very soon. But uh, they had some kind of a Warren Jeffs is his name. They had a woman today. Apparently she acted up. Uh, they wouldn't say what happened exactly, but she was removed from the jury. And, uh, of course, they've been uh, considering the child rape charges against this Warren Jeffs. So the woman was replaced by another woman juror. So that kept the continuity, the composition of the jury intact, five men, three women. And uh, the uh, district judge told the jury uh, to start deliberations over, disregard any comments made by that juror that was tossed. And as it turns out, they apparently went back and didn't take very long at all. So they've... uh, uh, reached a uh, verdict, so we'll find out exactly what's going on here. And I keep looking while I'm on the air with you, because I sure would like you to have that first, but uh, we do not uh, have it yet. So Warren, uh, And Warren Jeffs is, because uh, I haven't been following this case very closely, I just sort of knew that it was sort of happening, that Warren Jeffs actually is one of the guys that is talked about a lot in this book, Under the Manor of Heaven, Warren Jeffs and his his family, um, who, I mean, you know, you, you, a lot of these uh, the sects, you've got just multiple generations where the the family tree, due to the interbreeding and the intermarrying, and I mean, you know, and everybody goes, you know, it's all well and good. We all, you know, people make jokes about parts of the country and sure. breeding and so forth. Sure. But, I mean, you look, you look at some of these families in, in the outskirts of Utah, and it is just crazy where it's not a family tree it really is just like a family shrub where everybody yeah. you know no where the, one fam- is, where the family sap yeah exactly where no one you know, what is it rodney dangerfield say you know my family tree is just a stump or something it, yeah. you know, where every, right. no one is more than one degree away from anybody else and you know these you know you get these poor girls that are like 12 and 13 and they're promised and married off to some guy who's 70 years old and locks them in a woodshed and beats them with an axe handle and i mean it's just oh. i mean they're just horrible it's, it's just crazy i mean it's just and the, the it, Living in Utah where 
it was just so known and it was infuriating that the state in many cases knew about these organizations and because they did not want to stir up um how do I put this? Because the state uh, and the government in Utah, which, and I'm not saying this is a slam, the government there, which is largely run by members of the church, I mean, they, they, most of the elected positions in Utah are Latter-day Saints, they don't like to remind people that polygamy still exists, and so they would be very reluctant to go prosecute these guys, because they, they, didn't, want it, they didn't want their business dragged on the front page of the Salt Lake Tribune every morning, and so as a result, you just have generations of these poor girls that are effectively slaves uh, being held by these by these insane families, so Anyway, that's, uh, little... that's apparently where we're at here. Uh, he's accused of trying to uh, push a 14-year-old girl into a marriage she didn't want. So uh, that that's, that's pretty much where we're well, at at this uh, this juncture here. My little tirade on that. So I'm glad to see that this guy's probably, hopefully, gonna gonna get what's what he's got coming to him. Uh, Ed, it has been too long. I'm glad to, glad we talked again, Will. We're under the gun here, time-wise, but we will talk to you very soon, my friend. And hopefully, we'll have uh, some news on this story tomorrow. Rick, you betcha. Take care. Thank you, sir. Well, Ed McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen, in the South. All right, there you go. Yeah, you want to read a book that'll creep you out. You read Under the Banner of Heaven. That is a really unnerving book. It's uh, it, my wife read it. You know, she's from Utah, and then Scott Daly read it, and his wife read it, and I know you were reading it. It's just, it, yeah, it's it's messed up. Speaking of John Krakauer, by the way, John Krakauer, who wrote Under the Banner of Heaven, he wrote Into Thin Air, which is the story of the '96 Everest disaster, which is pretty creepy. Um, and then he also wrote a book called Into the Wild, which um. I guess had its premiere sneak preview last night uh, here in Oregon. I guess hmm. because it's uh, it's about it's about Chris McCandless, who um, I'm not going to go on and we don't have time to do another book club installment here. Um, if you want to read a really amazing book though, uh, Krakauer got a lot of notice for Into Thin Air, which I think is the book that most people hold up as his best. But if you want to read a really amazing book, read uh, Into the Wild. Uh, by John Krakauer, which is the story of this guy Chris McCandless. He's a kid. He was I think. 20 maybe 22 something like that um brilliant like an iq of like 170 came from a fairly well-to-do family um but uh, at the age of uh and i'm not giving anything away this is all laid out like in the first paragraph i mean burned all, at the age of like 20 graduated from college and then burned his money burned his identification like literally burned it in a ceremony destroyed everything he had all of his worldly possessions and then spent the next couple of years uh, walking across the country, hitchhiking across the country, uh, and then eventually was found dead in the middle of, like, nowhere in Alaska, um, having starved to death in the middle of Alaska, hmm. and but left these ex extensive, exhaustive journals the entire way. Uh, so the entire several years that he was just sort of tramping around the country, and then right, you know, and it up and up until the day he died. In Alaska, he kept these amazing journals of how he just one, one day was just like, you know, said F it and just chucked everything. And literally just he had a guy pick him up in a truck or he was hitchhiking through Alaska. And again, I'm not giving spoilers away. here. This is all preamble to the story. Um, was walking through Alaska, you know, just hitchhiking from one place to another. And he caught a ride with a guy and he had the guy drive him until... There was no pavement, no road, no signs, no anything. And the guy said, hey, if you walk into that area of Alaska, he's like, it's December. You'll die. You'll never make it out. And the guy's like, well, if I die, I die. And he walked into Alaska, into the wild, as, they, as the book says. And just um, that was the last anybody ever saw of him until they found him dead, you know, like six months later. But he mm. kept these amazing journals up until the day he died. It's just it's a really haunting book. So if you get a chance to read it, it's called Into the Wild. But, it was, but it's a movie directed and written by Sean Penn. 
uh, Eddie Vedder does the soundtrack, and it, it was filmed, a lot of it was filmed here in Oregon, and it premiered last night. I know Aaron went to see it, and we'll have his review this Friday. So, uh, anyway, so there you go, into thinner, uh, or uh, into the wild. Um, all right, we should probably break here, because we're behind. So we'll break, we'll come back, Tim Riley. Uh, at 1.40, we will talk to Susan Reynolds for another exciting installment of Susan Reynolds' Auditory Birth Control. Also today's top five, top five songs from the day the Atari 2600 went on sale. Uh, and later on, it is High Concept Tuesday. See, see, there's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. everyone. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, still to come, Auditory Birth Control with Susan Reynolds. Top five songs from, uh, let's see, uh, 1977, October 15th. Uh, the date of the Atari 2600's release to the American public. We'll do that because of Halo 3 coming out last night. Tim Riley in just a moment. Jim Roop later on about Keeper Sutherland. And a story about a woman filled with razor-sharp pins. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's your personal savior, Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Breaking news, the FBI has extradited a terrorist suspect from Europe and charging him with trying to set up a terror camp near Bly, Oregon. Terror camp, send your children. That's near Klamath Falls. Kassir's actions in Argonne included establishing a security perimeter, giving instructions on how to slit an individual's throat, and distributing a CD-ROM with instructions on how to make poisons and bombs. Who really needs instruction on throat splitting? That seems like a pretty straightforward activity. That is. Terror camp. Maybe it's one of the extras. It's like you make lanyards and pipe bombs. He trained at a training camp in Asia. While in Argonne, Kassir claimed to have received his own jihad training in Afghanistan, and he avowed support for Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Stop calling it Oregon. <laughs> he used the Internet to recruit more terrorists for Oregon. Kassir established and operated a number of terrorist websites where he posted information about building bombs, making poisons, and using various weapons. Well, all right. So there you go. So it's Oregon, and apparently terrorist has just become a two-syllable word. Yeah. Uh, Larry Craig will argue in court tomorrow that he should be allowed to withdraw his guilty plea. Uh, legal honcho Royal Oaks is one of the talking... Royal Oaks? Yeah, he's a talking head in all these talk show Royal Oaks. I thought that's a place that, like, some timeshare guy tries to swindle you. Would you like to buy three units in Royal Oaks? Actually, there's a place called Royal Oaks in Bethany. Really? Yeah. Where all CBS radio employees must live, unless your names are Rick or Sarah. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, they put uh, Craig's odds at withdrawing his plea near zero. Craig's chances rank somewhere between slim and none. It's almost impossible to withdraw a guilty plea here where he had months to think about it, where he knew he could get legal counsel and chose not to do it. Well done, Larry Craig. Oh, Keith Sutherland was busted four times for DUI. Four times. But, I mean, when? Well, it goes back to, uh, let's see... 1989? I thought that's the sort of thing. 1993? Was it all in California? Because I thought they stuck yeah. you in jail or prison or something after like two. No, not if you're a star. Yeah, that's true. Not if you have fantastic hair. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's that. And uh, let's see. Uh, oh, he was well over the legal limit, apparently, when he was busted this time in West Hollywood. Keeper Sutherland was pulled over in West Hollywood under suspicion of DUI. He blew um, an alcohol level um, over .08. It was apparently more than twice the legal limit, as a matter of fact. And he was taken in. Who is, this, who is that? 
<laughs> Drinking and driving is hilarious. Who's this woman that we're uh, hearing? She's uh, Don Yannick. She's the editor at large for uh, Life and Style Weekly, whatever that is. Some third-rate magazine. This is a second, actually, and he was arrested in 2004 for the first one. Now, if he's convicted, he's going to have to serve um, about five days in jail. You have the wrong information, lady. We just said it's his fourth time. You said it's his second time. In your face, Lapping Style Weekly. That's right. All right. Uh, one way to cut out the chances of teenage substance abuse is to eat supper with the kids every evening. Uh, those words of wisdom come from Salt Lake City Mayor Rocky Anderson. Those who have dinner with their families less than three times a week are three and a half times more likely to abuse prescription drugs than those children who have dinner with their families five or more times a week. <laughs> this speech recorded at the wrong speed on an ancient Radio Shack cassette. Jesus. Rocky Anderson, by he's a Democrat, by the way, a godless Democrat, elected by uh, Salt Lake How City. is that possible? You know, Salt Lake City... The machine did it. Salt Lake City, uh, I think we know that the answer to all those things, Tim, is it's sodomites. They're responsible for everything bad in Utah. The, um, well, they ought to go to Iran. Apparently, they have a shortage of them there. <laughs> And they're recruiting for more. They, they they seem to keep running out of gays in Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, no, in Salt Lake City, they're constantly electing Democratic mayors. It's the weirdest thing. Um, all right, so there you go. Well, speaking of teens and substance abuse, I mean, not that... I'm just saying, theoretically. Oh, no, on. I'm saying, no, no, no. I mean, not that your child is abusing substances, but I'm saying... Time now for teens, topics, and tunes. I'm saying... Oh, yeah, we have, a, we have an opening theme for this now. Great. For auditory birth control with... Susan Reynolds, right here on the Rick Emerson Show, AM 970. Solid state. I can't remember where the, where the post is on this song, right? Radio. If it weren't for kids, have you ever thought There wouldn't be no Santa Claus Or look what the store just brought Thank God for kids. The worst song ever recorded. And we'd all live in a quiet house Without Big Bird or a Mickey Mouse I used to have to play this like three times a shift. I used to get request word over request roundup every night. For a while. A special kind of sunshine and a smile. I've never heard of you ever stop the early 90s. Move to Boise, you'll get to play it all the time. Let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> I just want to keep playing this forever. We'll edit it down to just the hook for you. Thanks. I was kind of hoping I'd never hear it again. Susan Reynolds. I'm sorry. I didn't. I, of course, was not implying that your child abuses substances, but it is just the whole. Well, is, she is what about 15 now, right? 13. It is. Oh, Sarah gives that knowing glance. Well, it is the time when you... It's a rough road ahead for you, Susan. Yeah. With every year that your child goes into the forest of adolescence, though, the things, the list of things that you probably worry about grows more lengthy. Oh, it's unbelievable. And so, with the, you know, at, at four, it's just like, are they going to be finger-painting on a wall? Right, or sticking their finger in a socket. Exactly. Yeah. But by, by 15, it's like, is she injecting heroin into her eyeball, uh, yeah. you know, in a flop house somewhere? So, um, yeah. so you got two more years where you really have to worry about that. <laughs> okay. That is comforting. All right. So, now... Now, we have Susan Reynolds, uh, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, uh, occasionally here to talk about the trials and tribulations <laughs> of being a modern parent. So, yeah. So, here's, so here's, <laughs> here's what prompted the latest segment. So, uh, 
All I'm going to say, and I'll let you kind of tell the story, the key phrase here, the money phrase of the story, and, the, and I made a note to myself the other day when you were mentioning this, like, we have to have you on. All I will say is that apparently this past weekend climaxed with you taking a screwdriver and actually removing the door of your child's room. You had to do it again? Yeah. Is this the second time it, you've had to do this? It is, but it's, it's the second time, but it's been a number of years. Because it, originally the slamming of the door is kind of a... You know, they don't quite get it. And right. then you tell them, don't slam it again or I'll take it off the hinges. And they slam it again because they want to see how serious you are. Sure. Okay. So that's, you know, like when they're, I don't know, seven. Okay. Now, fast forward six years. <laughs> Tim, Tim and I just exchanged looks. Yeah. No, I, I had a younger brother. That's how I named He was much older than seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I don't, you know, I was thinking about it, too. I don't even know what started all of this. That's the stupid part. I have no idea how this all escalated. Well, when a mommy and daddy love each other very much. <laughs> no, no, I know that part. Hug each other in a special way. I'm talking about the fight. All right. And uh, so, you know, things escalated to a certain point, and there was a lot of screaming and yelling and marching up of stairs and, and so forth, and then the slamming, and the slamming like five times, now, you just, know. Just to make sure you heard it. For emphasis. Now, do you, now, was the screaming and uh, yelling, was it part of that from you, or do you remain calm? Well, I try to remain calm because uh, the books that I read, <laughs> you know, with all those snappy titles. Right. Uh, say, don't jump into the fray. Don't sink to their level. Don't, you know, so in my head, I'm going, don't sink, don't sink, you know, stay strong, be positive. But kids are just masters oh, at manipulation. God, I mean, unbelievable. So, um, I was screaming. There's no question. There was screaming on both ends, and I was sending her up to her room, and I was like within inches of her face. I'm sure that I was spitting all over her because I was just so mad. Anyway, there was the slamming of the door, and then I marched down the stairs, and I went out to the garage, and I found it. And of course, I grabbed the wrong screwdriver because I couldn't remember what I needed. Uh, it'd been a few years, and and anyway, I. Went back up there with the screwdriver, and I unscrewed that door. And the worst part is you get the door off the hinges. She's yelling at me the whole time. And then the door is heavy. It comes off the hinges, and I, like, start teetering backwards. Like I'm And, gonna... you know, she's not calling 911 if it crushes you. No, she's no. She's going to stand there and mock you. Yeah, as I'm sliding down the stairs, you know, with a door. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that was bad. I mean, it was really bad. And then there was a lot of, you know, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I mean, like 50 times. Was that? you saying that? No. Oh, <laughs> just thinking it. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> well, who, who's to say? Well, okay. I, you know, she couldn't read my thought bubble, and that was the good news, um, because she kept saying it, and that's when I was really saying to myself, don't, right. you know, don't go to her level. Stay strong. And I just stood there, and I just stood there and took it, which, you know, that's not right. No, it is. I mean, well, and kids, like, have no... The thing about kids is... Is that it, kids go from like zero to a hundred just instantly? Yeah. I mean, they just go thermonuclear. There is this there's this phrase in politics called uh, the scorched earth theory. Okay. And the scorched and scorched earth warfare is when you just go all out to destroy your opponent. Yeah. That's when you know you 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 know you just drag out the you know the, the photograph of him coming out of the brothel. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> that's what. But kids go to scorched earth like immediately. They immediately go to. I wish you had never had me. Well, yeah, oh, it I, was. It was kind of like that. Uh, you know, I would rather. I, I, you know, I'm leaving the house. I'd rather be an orphan. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I hate you as a parent. I hate you as a person. And, you know, all of it. I mean, she just threw out all the big guns, and she had previously told my husband that she thought he was a terrible father. So, you know, it just... Now, is he... Now, how does Dad react to the child? Well, uh, when the door was coming off the hinges, he was um, coincidentally not home. 
That's handy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that I was having to deal with that all on my own. And then he's like, why didn't you call me? I would have come right back. <laughs> you know, I, I really, I wasn't thinking about the phone at that moment. I was cr- trying to think of what to do. I didn't know what to do. I was so ill-equipped. And then, of course, she went in the bathroom and sobbed for the next, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. And then I hear this little, Mommy, will you come here? Oh, <laughs> oh that's such, shameless. Such manipulation. That's just so, and of course, but now, did you, now does your heart just melt? You're just like, oh, I have to go take care it, of it. It didn't melt. I was kind of still shaking, you know. <laughs> I had gone and I, I sat down on the couch and I was trying to practice, you know, deep breathing. <laughs> Find you know? your center. Yeah, um, because I really didn't know what to do. I thought, well, you know, and she told me that as soon as I went to bed, she was going to run away. So I thought, all right, I'm on high oh. alert now. You know, I don't know what to do. So uh, then the mommy, will you come here? And mommy, not yeah. just mom, you know. Uh, when a 13-year-old calls you mommy, it's, you know, you know it, it's serious. So anyway, I went in there, and then she just, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I love you, I love you, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it, I don't know why I'm this way, you know, and right. it went from there. So we recovered. Yeah. I just see this is this is why we call the segment the auditory birth control. Assignment. Oh yeah, not that I really need it at this point, but I I would just I mean we were talking about Bridget upstairs. Yeah, the whole that that decision has just been made in my head so long ago. But it's moments like this that just reinforce that because I would just be the worst possible parent too because I because when when you're having to dissemble parts of your home mm-hmm. when you're literally having to remove sections <laughs> yeah. of wall and the worst part was then I had to figure out you know not that night but the next day like how to get that door back on. You know, which was not easy because it wasn't easy getting it off. So, so putting it back on was not 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 too. And bad. I always we always say when you're coming on, we always say, well, we talk about well, maybe we'll get you know observations from the audience. We'll get mm-hmm. assistance. And I I guess I should ask for that, but I I'm not even really sure what they would say. Well, like, I what don't possible know. Possible assistance. Like what? What do you? What's the specific question that you need? <laughs> what possible <laughs> advice could you possibly give? You sound like Dr. Laura. Well, what is your question? When you're having to remove sections of yeah, your home, you know, I don't even know what the question is. I mean, because really, I don't know anyone who's equipped. To handle that, you know, the the, the abuse, you know, right. that starts flying. You just, you don't know what to do. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, I, I've read a ton of these books, you know, and they all kind of say the same thing. Well, here's what you're going to go through, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. See, and I'm trying <laughs> you know? to, I try to remember if I did stuff like that to my parents, and I guess, and I, I can't, I can't remember. And so I don't know if it's just a blur or I if think it's you just, block it out. Yeah, my blag because I know I was just a terrible child. Yeah, I wasn't uh, so great either. And I know that I did, uh, you know, attempt to run away a few times. And I, oh, you know, you turn into your own parent. So I, uh, I remember my mom saying to me, well, if you're going to run away, then you better strip down because all those clothes I bought for you, you're going out the same way you came in. And damn if I didn't say the same thing to her. Well, then strip down right now. <laughs> and then she st- tried to tell me, well, you didn't buy me this hoodie. And you didn't buy, oh, and it just went ugly. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, but now, you know, we're all happy and, and everything's fine, sort of. Don't you just feel used? Oh, I, well, exhausted. I mean, you, it sucks because it sounds like it's kind of a superficial happiness until she acts like a little jerky. Oh, I was just going to yeah. say, do you feel terrible for... um? Do you feel terrible for sort of weakening when she says, you know, Mommy, where are you coming to? I mean, do you feel like you're just being, you know, well, what like you got to stay mad, but you just can't quite well, do it? Well, you can't. I mean, look, she's a kid. I mean, it, yes, she's 13, and she ought to know better, but she's 13, and this is how they act. And, you know, we've had these discussions like, well, this is kind of typical, and they, you know, they go up and down with their emotions, especially the girls. And, uh, they're, you know, then the next day, of course, there was a big blow up with, uh, with the best friend. And um, so we had to, you know. Now, are the friends a destructive influence? 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I try to ask a, a lot of questions and more than she's willing to answer, for sure. Who is this, uh, you know, and it's always like this, who is this Todd boy you're spending all this time with? <laughs> yeah, that Todd. Yeah, and that they don't, Todd. They don't want to no, tell you anything. No. And I try to, you know, I, I try to be like the cool mom, you know. No, no, don't try no, and get a Susan, cool Susan, I mean, there is no thing. cool mom. Wait a minute now. Unless you turn your back and let them get wasted in the basement. That's very cool. That's that's cool mom. What? Are you willing to be that? No. You don't I, want to be the cool You're not going to be cool mom. No. I, I, I took her to a concert at the Crystal Ballroom the weekend. Yeah, did you stay? Not did you stay at the concert or did you drop her off? I stayed. She's okay, then that's not cool. No, but no, no, you're not wait. the cool mom. I stayed up in the balcony with all the 21 and older. Did you can keep parents. a watchful eye on her. Did her friends know you were there? Did her friends know you were there? Yeah, not the yeah, cool mom, not cool mom not at all. Cool. Not at all. No, but you don't. But cool mom doesn't care. Cool mom would go um, back around to scooters and take some Jello shots while. Cool her mom. Would, cool mom would be like banging the bouncer in the alley outside during the show. <laughs> I'm saying from a no, you know what I mean. I'm saying like you don't want to be your kids like party pal. No, no, no. I don't want to be like the 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 Dina Lohan. That's you know? what I'm no. saying. You don't want to be that. No, no. I will never be that. Uh, but what, I, one cannot be a cool parent and a good parent at the same time. I say now I don't I don't have kids, so I know I shouldn't be saying. But I'm I saying guess I'm I, not trying to be the friend. But you know I don't know too many other moms that have a hookup. Let's put it that way. Well, that's, for tickets and things. And so I, I'd be like, hey, you know. Even if you won't let her go to Rock Fest. Well, come on now. I'm not stupid. <laughs> I know what goes on in Rockfest. I run Rockfest. That's right. All right. Uh, let's, well, you have some advice oh. here. Hi. Uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show for Auditory Birth Control with Susan Reynolds. Hello. Hello. Hey, um, I just had a little a little thing that can save uh, Susan um, some time and some energy. Mm. Is uh, Next time you want to pull the door off, don't, don't take the hinges out. Don't unscrew them. There's little hinge pins that hold the door hinges on. Oh, yeah. Did you unscrew casing? the panel of the hinge, or did you <laughs> yeah. take the pins out? I didn't know what I was doing. I was so you get a, <laughs> blind. You get, a, you get a hammer and a screwdriver, and, and yeah, just, you just pound the oh, pins out. Yep, right out. And it'll Sorry. take it two seconds, and, you know, you That's, don't have to worry about putting the thing back on either. It's so, so great, though, that a guy calls up, and right. his advice is actually not emotional. His <laughs> advice is actually structural. Yeah, it has nothing to do with child rearing. It's what all you want to do is get yourself a trowel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all I can throw out there. Excellent. Sorry. Well, thank, thank you, you, sir. Yeah. All right, yeah. thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson. Do you, do you have a lathe? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I do have a uh, cordless power drill, though. All right, you have a Makita? Yeah. Next time, yeah. Excellent. Well done. Yeah. So uh, what, just my 30-second quick take on this is that what kids have no power. So what she's doing is pulling you into the power struggle. The only power she has is to make you mad. So your best bet is going to be to disengage, do not under any circumstances, make threats or lay down consequences in the moment. Let her know that she's going to scream and rail, and 20 minutes, an hour later, when you're calmed down, you're going to come up with a consequence, and it's going to be good. Here's so, the, I would say that, too. I would also, I would say uh, that you deal with her the way that we deal with a guy who calls up and says, Baba Booey, that we just kind of go, uh-huh, yeah, okay. And click. we just, you know, yeah. click, bye now, uh -huh. you know, and just dump and just move on. Yeah. So... Because he is really right. The kids, the only way that they can really uh, gain ground is just destructively, just oh. by laying waste around them. Right. I know. I mean, when she said, you know, to my husband, oh, you're a bad dad, and she sort of was citing a few things, I said, she said that because she knew she was getting to you. Right. It was easy for yeah. me to dole out the advice for him, and then she turns it on me, and then I'm, you know. Now, does, now is he uh, more lenient, typically, than you are? He will roll over. Because it's the where daddy's girl oh, can kind of, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Sarah probably knows all about that. 
No, my dad, he was he was the scary one when he got mad because he was very quiet and always very calm. My mom was like, ah. Oh, when he's quiet, see, that's you know that there's a cracking yeah, point. Yeah, as soon as, yeah, as soon as he get upset and he's like, you upset your mother, I knew that it was just <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew it was in yeah. trouble. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, I got to tell you, my, my dad, a uh, loathsome individual that he is, he, he did provide rare moments of comedy, though. I remember my sister just... Um, we were at the dinner table, my mom, my dad, me, and my sister. And my sister was just going on, just she was bitching about something. Just going on and on. And my, and my parents, to their credit, were just sort of like, you know, look, if you, you, know, if, if you want to continue to talk that way, you're going to have to leave the table. They were trying to hold it in. They were trying to whatever. And she was sitting to my dad's uh, right, to my dad's like 3 o'clock. And they kept telling her, like, look, if you want to continue to talk this way, you're going to have to leave the table. And my mom said, yes, you know, you're not going to be allowed to talk that way at the table. And my, my sister said something to the effect of, you know, well, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do, you bitch. Mm. And oh. the best moment was, you know, without even looking up, my dad, without even looking up, the hand just went over and went like, bam, like right into the end, right into the yeah. end of her nose. Yeah. So, which was sort of amusing. Not that I advocate striking one's oh, children, God, no. but just sort of the, the sort of timing of it, because it was sort of like he was shoveling potatoes into his mouth, <laughs> and it was like a shovel, shovel, whack, shovel, shovel. All right, thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, this is Jerry. Hey, what's up? Well, I just wanted to say that, you know, I've never heard this segment before, and I tuned in, and I swear to God, it was me talking about my daughter at 13 years old. See, do you feel I, better I or worse? I took the door off, and the whole <laughs> bit had the I hate you going on. Oh, yeah. And, I, I, of course, I just had to get off the phone with my daughter and tell her, we were just on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. And, and well, I, you know... never thought, I never thought she would be a contributing member of society, but she's now 21, and we're both friends, and... We made it through. No, and see, now, does she have children of her own? I'm sorry? Does she have children of her own? Not yet. Oh, see, no, now, she's only 21. Now, does she, if she plans to have children, then, uh, you know, then at least you need to know that her life will someday be a living, breathing hell on earth just as yours was. <laughs> and I can't wait. <laughs> there, that's the spirit. A mother's love. Yeah, well, my mom gets a big kick out of all these things, too. Thinks this is a riot. Of course. Well, of course. No, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's the other great thing about not having kids of my own yeah. is that I deny my my mother the uh, the pleasure of seeing yeah. me just tormented by children. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's excellent. so cool, Rick. All uh, right. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, I got uh, Jerry. All right, and uh, we will end this segment as we often do by talking to our good friend and suffering parent in his own right, <laughs> Mailman Chris, oh, who hi, joins Chris. us now. Oh, hi, Chris. It, it wouldn't be spiritually birth control if I didn't call it. No, of course not. You, you guys are sort of a yin yang. You know, you're polar twins to one another. You know, and 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 they are the kids are almost the exact same age. And I have to tell you, I, thank God I have boys. Oh because, yeah, yeah. Because I, I but wisdom. And, of course, one's now nine, so he's getting into it as the other one's getting out. But I tell you, Colin, for every everyone knows all the stories of Colin, you know. Uh, Setting fire to things and <laughs> chopping off his hair and yeah, smothering the cat. Cutting, you yeah. know, all sorts of. Hey, the kid straightened up in school. I took his door off years ago. <laughs> he has never gotten it back. It's oh, like he's living in maximum security at Oz. There's just a glass wall. I took, I took the door off. The door, the door currently resides in my garage. Fantastic. Wow. So Excellent. he just didn't get it back. He just lost that. But, you know, he's dealt with it. He's, he, he handled that. That was, and like I said, that was years ago. And as an update for anyone who's, who's you know, the ongoing adventures. Yes. He's kept up with school. We have a pretty good relationship. He's in the eighth grade. 
and I don't know whether to be proud of this or not, he's dating a sophomore. <laughs> well, okay. that could resolve itself any number of ways. So, <laughs> Well, that resolved itself in my going to Planned Parenthood and I was, buying him like $10 worth of coffee. That's exactly what it is. As long as there's a convenience store nearby. And he has yeah. no door. That's yeah. good. And he has, has no door. She probably but it, does, but, you know. But it's great that he has, you know, that's, that's the one easy thing I can use is, you know, he wants to hang out with her. He wants to use Oh, that is true. Actually, if you want to manipulate a young man, that is a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. I will deny you access to boobs. So that's you say that, they'll do whatever it takes. So It works, it works out well. So hopefully things, uh, things improve. If not, you know, there's always alcohol. Because <laughs> that yeah. never results in more kids. Yeah, no, and that, that just solves everything. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. Ladies and gentlemen, fantastic. All right. Well, uh, all right. Okay. So do you feel, I mean... Does misery, you know, does oh, misery's does. company help at all? Absolutely, it does. And and you know, I, I I'm aware that these things. I'm not the only one experiencing these things. So, so what grade is she in? Eighth. Oh, not even in high school. Not no, even but in you high know, school. this middle school thing has Be been wary a of the summer between eighth and ninth grade. Oh boy. Now, do you feel like um, your younger daughter is learning good or bad lessons from oh, this whole thing? Oh, I mean, she has been sitting there. Her eyes just get gigantic. Like she is, and she's a completely different kind of kid. So I'm sort of hoping that she's soaking this all in, and she's seeing, okay, I'm not going to do this, 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 and this, and well, we'll see. Right. I'd probably be back here in about three years. Okay. And don't and, and look and, and don't and I feel bad. I want to clarify that you know, just because we say that you shouldn't be the cool mom doesn't mean we don't think you're cool. Oh no, we think you're, cool. we think you're very cool. Hey, compared to some of the other moms, oof. I just uh, I think that I don't know. I think it's like the, the, the whole kids have such a different standard of cool though, and such a different it translates. It's almost like. It's almost like, and I use this example all the time because it fits so many different scenarios. It is like that Seinfeld where George decided that the way to be successful was to do whatever the opposite of his instinct said. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. if, he, yeah. if he felt like he should do one thing, he knew to do exactly the opposite. Because I think no matter what you do, kids view it through like some weird bizarro world prism. So no matter how cool you actually are, it just mortifies kids even more for some weird oh, reason. Oh, that's true. And I know I embarrass them every time. I mean, it, there's just no question about that. So, all right, you know, I could live with that because that's sort of my job now. But but they could do a lot worse than the parents they have. Are we are we ready to uh, are you get ready to cap this, Sarah? As no. only the Oak Ridge boys can. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Auditory birth control with CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan Reynolds. Thank you, Susan. Good luck. Just think to yourself. It's only got six and a half more years. Yeah, something like that, right? This was a power gold in Kennewick. All right. Back after this, Susan Reynolds, ladies and gentlemen. We'll return momentarily. Sarah Dillon tells her exciting New York stories. Jim Roop, Tim Riley in the Top 5. You stated it's the Rick Emerson Show. When you get down on your knees tonight, thank the Lord for his guiding light. All right. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, seeing a radio correspondent, James Roop. Uh, more from Tim Riley. Top five songs from October 15th, 1977. Uh, and it is High Concept Tuesday, so we'll, uh, we'll try to get to that. All right, so... Later on, and I don't know if we'll have time for this year, uh, but later on we're going to... I never did get to the things we missed while we were gone last week's segment, and eventually it's just going to be... Oh, yeah, because 
I still don't know. I still don't know because we got. I know little... something big happened with Britney Spears and. Well, there was the Britney thing. There was the OJ thing. There was something happening having to do with a taser, but I don't know what that is. Everybody keeps emailing me. You missed the taser thing, and I don't even know what the taser thing is. So, but don't. We're not talking about it right now because I do. I want to get to, and even I don't know what your New York story is. So all I know is. I have a bunch. Yeah, I have a bunch of stories. So these are. All I know is you had some sort of running with the cops and some running with a girl at a club that was going to beat your ass. And I don't know if those are the same well, or if they're yeah, together. Yeah, a few celebrities and... All right, so yeah, so, so just pl- please to explain in whatever order you deem necessary. Okay, well, on Sunday night, we went. Uh, my sister and I went and tried to find this hidden bar in Tribeca that has, um, which is like the fancy area of New York, right. which is where like the Olsen twins and everything lives. Robert De Niro has a restaurant there. Yeah, it's, it's super fancy, and there's like this hidden club. Because a lot of these things say that something is someplace, but it's actually a completely different bar name on the outside. Which is completely confusing. I went to a few of these. So we ended up finding this bar, going to the Morrissey night, whatever. There's one dance room. There's one bar area, like like other room, like sitting area. So we're in the sitting area, and after a while, we decided to move into the dance room. And there was a big booth open right next to the dance floor, and there were just a couple purses on the side. And we're like, okay, great. Somebody's up, you know, dancing. They don't need the seat anymore. So we sit down, and this crazy-looking girl was dancing next to our table with her friend, and her friend... Um, turned and asked, and she's like, hey, our purses are right there. Do you mind watching them? I'm like, okay, that's fine. Then her friend, uh, the girl, she had, like, this wild look in her eyes, and all of a sudden she looked at me, she's like, um, excuse me, can I ask you a question? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she's like, this is, like, profanity. I wish I could swear on the air because it was totally profanity. Right. And she's like, why the F aren't you guys dancing, huh? Why are you just sitting there? I'm like, well, because we just got here, and we're still having some drinks. And I didn't know it was required. Bar. Yeah, and then she's like, well, then why the blank are you sitting on our mother blanking purses? And I'm like, <laughs> excuse me? I'm like, I'm not sitting on any of your purses. I'm like, your purses are right there next to us. And she's like, you know what? Our purses were there. That's our blank, 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 blank booth. I'm like, you know, we're we're actual people, and those are purses. I'm like, if there's a blank, if there's a blank bench... We should be able Wait, to sit so there. Wait, so this just came out of nowhere? So you just so out her, of nowhere. Her complaint is that you're sitting there and not dancing. Yeah, and she's and then she starts screaming about her purses. I'm like, well, your friend asked us to watch them, so she obviously didn't seem to mind. And why should your purses be taking up a huge bench in this crowded club? I'm like, well, we need a place to sit. Right. And she's like, oh, I know you're not talking back to me. Are you? you better not be talking <laughs> back to me. And she starts screaming at me. And then um, Heather's little gay friend Jordan was sitting next to me, and he tried to touch her. And she's like, don't you don't you touch me? Don't you touch me? And she started like shaking her head around and like grabbing my shirt and then she like put her hand on my knee and she started squeezing and that's when I kind of like I came to I'm like get your hand off this of me this is freaking me out even now. if you listen to it it's stressing me out just yeah. to hear the story I'm like get your hand off of me now and Jordan's like don't touch her and, she, and she's just like you know what your friend has a smart mouth and she's gonna get her ass kicked and she kept screaming what and I'm just club like, were you at? at this like like fancy little hipster club I don't know, Jesus. and this girl was out of place and just really crazy. She wouldn't get her hand off me. She's like, what did you say? I'm like, stop touching me. Get your hand off my leg right now. And she eventually just kept freaking out, and my sister came back. She had gone to the bar to get drinks, and she came back, and she's like, hey, guys, what's up? And starts coming in drinks. We're like, yeah, we're just going to move. This is really bad. So I ended up moving back to the other room after she was, like, going all crazy. She ended up getting kicked out of the club. And um, we ended up going back in and having That's a fun insane. time. But I'd never, and Jordan, who was like me, he's like, by the way, I saw her when we came in, and she's looking for a fight. He's like, she will punch you in the face. We've got to leave. <laughs> we have to run now. Yeah, and I was Get just out. sitting there doing nothing, and it was all over a couple of purses. And I have never actually felt that somebody was going to be About me. to beat your ass. Because mm-hmm, as soon as she was grabbing me, and she had grabbed my shirt, and she had just this crazy look Oh, and you can eyes. tell when somebody's just, like, spoiling for it. I was, exactly, yeah. in my mind, I remember going through, I'm like, she means it. Yeah. She will. Oh, it's she, not just. It's not a bluff. Yeah, it's not some BS, you know, Southeast Portland girl who thinks that she's tough. This right. is, like, some girl 
who will break my nose. And not Some think New about York it. girl who will crush me. Yeah, totally. Ugh. So that was that. And then um, by Saturday, I was down to about uh, like $80 in my bank account. And we were really poor and we were going out in the West Village. And my sister and I decided instead of paying $9 a beer, um, you know, in the bars, we'd get traveling beers. And go to so we went to a bodega and got some you know sparks for like and by traveling beers this is beers that we will walk with down the street beers that we'll drink in public out of paper bags and so we wandered around having a great time we finished those we're like that went swimmingly how about another <laughs> let's 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 continue the story with Jim Roop actually let's okay now welcome to the Rick Emerson show from Los Angeles a man who knows a lot about traveling beers and all kinds of beers. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. You know, I'm I'm content to listen. I'm oh. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Oh no, very much. we brought you in to listen to perhaps give observations at the end of this because I actually don't even know. Uh, all I know is that she had all of these weird experiences happen to her in New York. So she's fleshing out the stories for us. All right, so you. So the, the first set of traveling beers went down really well. So you decided just to continue in that vein. We decided why not get another you know of course another pair. Why not? So we were wandering around Greenwich Village. And then we came across one of those, you know, book, um, those like card tables with a bunch of books on them. Right. Heather and I are just casually drinking our beers, looking at books that we want to buy. Now, are the beers in a bag? They're in a bag, but they're they were like tall boys. The funny thing about it is, is <laughs> the and it, the funny thing is the bag, of course, has exactly the opposite effect mm-hmm. because, like, no one drinks a Pepsi in a bag. What I got to hold on? I, I'm drinking some Seven Up, but I got to put it in a brown bag first. Give me a <laughs> I mean, really, it would almost be less conspicuous if you just had the can of beer, because then people might just go out to an energy drink or something. But I mean, the minute something's in a bag, clearly it's known you, that you you're know, can I say Can I say something? Yeah. When I was younger, uh, we used to spend the money, an extra 80 cents or whatever, on a can of soda. And we dump it out and pour the beer in that and hey, walk around with it. Listen to that. See, mm-hmm. Jim Roop, the voice of experience. Now, I'm not condoning that. Of course, no, that would be wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, Jim Roop, of course okay. not. All right, so you're just, so you've got tall boys peeking out of a paper bag as you're wandering through the streets of New York. It's true. Um, and so we're wandering and we're stopped to look at this card table and it's a pretty. It's like a bunch of card tables lined next to each other. So I'm on one end, Heather's on the other. And I'm just looking at the books, drinking my beer, and I look over, <laughs> and I see, I see this this guy in a uniform come up to my sister and tap her on the shoulder, and she turns around, and she's talking to him, and I see his her, his friend kind of looking around, and he sees me, so I take my can, and I shove it under the card table really quick. <laughs> no one will notice that. And he walked up to me, and he's like, ma'am, what, what were you drinking earlier? I'm like, well, sir, I was drinking alcohol earlier. And for some reason, he did not see the can, and so uh, he brought me back over to my sister, and he's just like, what do you girls think you're doing? And we played little like podunk. We didn't know what we were doing. We're like, we're from the West Coast. I we thought it was legal. <laughs> that beers are ten dollars, and we thought this would be cheaper. Sorry, officer. <laughs> and and he, he's just like, all right, I'm not going to give you guys a ticket. So we didn't even get tickets. He just cited us That's and fantastic. sent us drunk on our way. And I love the idea of you just shoving it under a table and that he didn't see it, because that's like the guy who gets pulled over for, you know, the, the lane change and just starts throwing his crack out the window in the bag, you know, because uh-huh. no one will see that. Uh, yeah, so wonderful. I was kind of freaked out because I guess a lot of people get caught drinking in public in New York, and the tickets only twenty five bucks. Right. So. But that would have been a bummer considering I only had you know eighty dollars to my name. Well, but I mean, if you get a ticket for uh, an open container or something in New York, I mean, you don't, you don't have to pay that, do you? I think so. I mean, you you, you live here. What are they going to do? They're not going to find you. I mean, really, what would I mean? I'm not condoning that well, you don't just, pay. Well, he just cited us, but... and he's like, "If I see you girls drinking in public again, you're getting tickets." <laughs> okay. See, and it's funny because, well, first of all, because being in Las Vegas sort of spoils you, because in Las Vegas, you know, Las Vegas, it's like you could be. 
stopped at a stoplight and people come up and give you alcohol. Here, have some alcohol. It's and just like New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, no matter where you go, I remember there was the great. I actually had. I was just like a country mouse in the city. The first time I went to Vegas, I actually took a bunch of photographs of of people. Like we were in a taxi, and. The, one of the girls who was with us, I guess it was the second time I went to Vegas, one of the girls who was sort of in this party of people that were there was drinking this huge thing. It was like a huge football-shaped beer thing. <laughs> it was like during the Super Bowl time, and it was like a huge football that was about nine inches high filled with Coors Light and in the taxi cab. And it, I, I, just, I had never been in a place where you could be in the back of a taxi just boozing it up. And I remember taking a photograph of it because it was just so astounding to me. Um, also see the huge Eiffel Tower thing filled with margarita, like a yard of margarita that you can walk around with. I was actually, at the same time you were in New York, I was in London, and there's this... Did Laura get walking bears? No, she did not because we were going to go, we ended up not, but we were going to go to this place called The Church, which is this bar, sort of a rave. The one that I told you about. Yeah, we ended up not going... Because the tickets were kind of pricey, and it just it, we felt really underdressed. Well, you, and, not even, you know what? I think it's a different thing because this was a um, the one that I went to was only on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and the cost of entrance was a bag of beer. Oh no! See, this is <laughs> I think it has been um, what's the word? I think it's been assimilated and sort of streamlined That's because too bad. because Jim is now having to sit and listen to our endless. Travel I'm good, log. buddy. I'm good. The uh, well, there was that we've been told about this sort of quasi underground bar that was like sort of like a Studio 54 thing where everybody's in crazy costumes and every you know you, it's dark and there's weird music and it's just sort of a cool rave goth bar hangout concert thing and we're like, well, that sounds kind of cool and. We went there, and it felt like it had sort of been assimilated into the mainstream because there was a bouncer at the door. So you had to buy a ticket to get in. The tickets were like 13 bucks a head, and it just seemed very – it didn't feel very underground. It felt like a very sort of homogenized version of something that was once kind of alternative and cool. But as we're walking there, there was a bunch of dudes dressed as the three wise men wandering down the streets, all holding huge things of lager, just putting it down. And there was the great – we were talking earlier about how about how there's, you know, certain British equivalents for American things like, you know, lad and dude. And the cops there were so easygoing. There were just three guys, these three huge football player-sized guys dressed as the three wise men, each with a huge thing of beer in their hand, putting it down and walking right by a cop who's just sort of standing there. And the cop actually just sort of arches an eyebrow and goes, eh, lads, no, no drinking in public, please. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there's like, all right, and, you know, into a trash can, and they just walk on by. Just the mellowest thing ever. So uh, I love that, man. It was, I mean, it was just very cool. Um, all right. Well, hey, speaking of drinking, uh, so Keeper Sutherland, so this is now the fourth time, apparently, since 89 he's been hit for DUI. That's not bad if you think about it. I suppose. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a, what, 18 years? One every six-year average, something like that. Hey. I guess. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland, score star of the Brotherhood of Justice. What, the last time was, what, two years ago, three years ago? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think November 2004 is the last one I saw. I think Tim, Tim had pulled it, but I, I don't know exactly what it was. So this is, But he was like double the legal limit or something? Is that what this is? When did, I don't even... uh, they didn't say specifically how high over the... Over the legal limit, he blew. Yeah, they just I said it's over point oh eight. I uh, must be significant. It was twenty five thousand dollars bail because the bail for that goes anywhere from five thousand to whatever. Tim has just rushed in with this. I've literally just been handed this. Uh, let's see, celebtv.com uh, says that he is not to but four DUIs in his court record. The twenty four star was busted Tuesday morning for driving under the influence. Uh, he failed a field sobriety test. 
Uh, let's see. He was arrested in 88 for DUI and carried a, carried a concealed weapon and a loaded firearm in public. 93, DUI. Uh, let's see. 89, DUI. Uh, let's see. Blah, blah, blah. He's out on $25,000 bail. So forth, blah blah blah. Anyway, so um, well, there you go. So now, is this the sort of thing? I mean, if, isn't there some? I mean, even in California, isn't there some limit to the amount of times you can get a DUI without them sticking you in the big house for a while? Oh, I don't know. I'm 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 sure because you you I mean you could lose his driver's license for good. You know, I mean that kind of thing. Um, not, there's no three strikes to these are misdemeanor charges. Really, is that true? I thought that California was one of those states where they really started to bust down on people who were. Uh... Uh, this is this is from what I was told this morning by the cops. It's a misdemeanor uh, suspicion of DUI. So uh, maybe after the third time or something, but I don't know, man, because there's so many people I know that have multiple DUIs. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, there are certain states that are real hard asses about it. And there are certain states where it just sort of seems to be like a... Like, but we all have a couple of them, don't we? Well, and as I've... Well, as like the guy... Uh, the, the, what was the... There was some... A guy on an, an episode of Homicide or something was talking about the about Baltimore or Baltimore, as they say, and was talking about how everybody in Baltimore was just sort of assumed that you would have two bar brawls on your record at some point. <laughs> like, it was just a given. You know, it is the home of the barroom brawl. You know, you're entitled. Um, but... Um, you know, it, it, as I, I never get tired of citing this, it actually, for a while, I, up until relatively recently in Texas, it was actually legal to drink and drive. You just couldn't be drunk. In other words, if as long as you were under .08, you could actually be driving down the road with like a margarita in your hand. You just couldn't be over the legal limit. See, there's so, nothing wrong with that. No, it's, you know, so this country is all, you know, just depends on where you go. It's a, it's a large tapestry of drunk driving laws. You know, when I was in New Orleans uh, for Katrina, uh, I witnessed uh, daiquiri bars, uh, the drive-through daiquiri <laughs> windows. See, that's fantastic. You, people seriously pull in like they're getting a slushie from 7-Eleven or something, man. They go in there and, and they and they walk out with the daiquiris and they, and they start from cups with the straws and they're driving around drinking them. Really? I thought, this is a beautiful place to live. <laughs> I have to move my whole family here immediately. Um, this email says, Rick, in Daytona Beach during spring break, if they, get a, uh, if they give you a ticket for anything, uh, including public drinking, you must pay cash to the cop. This sounds suspicious. You must pay cash to the cop writing the ticket because they know your ass isn't coming back to Florida to be in court. So, yeah, that does sound like a, uh, the, you must pay the ticket in cash. That sounds good for little... T-Justice, man. The, you know what it is? That's like I had a friend of mine who was sort of a long-haired, hippie, Wiccan, you know, the crystal-worshipping freak. Great guy, but, you know, exactly the type of guy that Southern cops love to pull over. He's driving, sounds like a bad joke, but he's driving a VW microbus covered with, you know, like, pentacles and witchcraft stickers or something all over the back you know and he's wearing like a cloak you know like a dragon like a pewter dragon claw thing around his neck and just totally looks like the kind of guy that a, that a cop wants to screw with the cop pulls him over for something that seemed a little bogus like you know having his like failure to have your turn indicator on long enough before the turn or something and um, the cop pulls him over and the cop says well you know you you didn't have your turn indicator on a hundred yards before the turn. I'm afraid that's a. Uh, I'm afraid that's a ticket. And my friend goes, "Oh well, I okay. I um, yeah, I don't. You know, okay." And the cop pauses and says, "So uh, yeah, I can uh, give you this ticket in the Iranian court, or uh, you can pay that here if you'd like." And I mean, with the tone of and the pause, sort of said it all. Just the sort of arched eyebrow with the, or oh, you could pay it here. And my Pardon me a minute while I run your car. Exactly. My friend just went. My, he said at that point he figured some long-haired, pasty guy in, like, you know, Dallas. He's like, I'm not going to last in one of their jails. So he just, my friend just said, 
Okay, how much how much to pay it here? And the cop said, hundred bucks. And the, my friend went, all right, there you go, hundred bucks. And the guy said, okay, you be on your way now and have it drive safely. And that was the end of the whole exchange. So I always do wonder about things like that. Like if I get ticketed for something in London, you know, because my wife actually said at moment, she's like, well, you know. What if we just are on the subway and don't have a ticket, and they give us, you know, they write us up, and I'm like, well, who cares? I live in Oregon. What are they going to do? Send the, send the bobbies after me? I mean, I just, you know. So, anyway, all right. Uh, and there's nothing new in any of this other crap that we're talking well, about. Well, actually, the there's a threat against the judge in the Spectre trial. Really? Uh, I just confirmed that. I just filed those pieces. I did. Yeah, on the on the Team Spectre MySpace page, there was a a, a threat on the Spectre on that page that and ends with the judge must die and it's signed Shell, C-H-E-L-L-E which is often a nickname for Rochelle uh, oddly enough that's Phil Spectre's wife's name although the defense says Mrs. Spectre did not post that threat but she was sanctioned by the judge a couple of weeks ago for speaking out in the press she argued with him in court uh, you know she doesn't like the judge it's not that's no secret so this investigation has been launched by the sheriff's department, or their judicial investigative arm, anyway, uh, about this threat. It's a felony. I mean, they they get about 200 of these kind of threats against judicial officers each year, and um, if, if this person's caught, they're in big trouble. You know, MySpace is sort of great. MySpace is sort of like the tuna trawling net of the uh, of the World Wide <laughs> yeah. Web, where it just catches morons. You know what I mean? You just, <laughs> yeah, I you know, you. because every time you hear about these idiots, well, what happened? Well, we videotaped ourselves smashing windows and setting fire to a car, and then we. Posted it on MySpace along with our faces and home addresses. Yeah. You know, and it must make law enforcement's job so much easier that MySpace is there just for morons to advertise themselves like this. That's how I found the girl that crashed into my car. Totally. I mean, you know, what you, you know, hobbies crashing into Sarah Dillon's car. Also, here's a, you know, picture of my face. So, all right. Uh, oh, by the way, we've got this email that says Rick. Jim is right. The South still has drive-through liquor stores. The way they get around open container laws on the mixed drinks they make is by keeping the paper on the very end of the straw. By the way, I'm not making this up. Oh yeah, you know you're right. That's exactly how they hand it to you. Really? Well, I, you know, I never thought about that, but yeah. So it's technically not an open container if the straw has the paper on the end of it. So you got to be careful how you take that little piece of paper off so you can get it back on there if you get pulled over. And it's really, you know. There is such a thing as Yankee ingenuity. I my love friend. those people, man. You know this this country. Was, uh, is my a, family's on the wrong side. This this country really is. <laughs> this country really is one just big insane crazy quilt of uh, of ingenuity. It really. Think is. about how much fun we all be having had things gone the other way a few hundred years ago. That's what I'm saying. All right, my friend. Well, enjoy your uh, enjoy your afternoon and the various death threats pouring in all over the uh, the world about everything. Uh, I'm all we will, over it, sir. We will uh, talk to you soon, my brother. Thank you. All right, Jim Roof. In Los Angeles, let's get uh, these real quickly. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Yo. Hey, what's up? Hey, this is Art in Beavertron and uh, about DUIs in California. Yes. Um, why he doesn't have four in, and the lady said that he had two yeah. is because they drop off your record after seven years. It's on your court record permanently. Oh, really? But after so, seven years, it's not a consecutive DUI. So he's on his second. If he was on his third, he'd be going to jail for a year. I see. So it's a, so every you get to drop a few every now and again. Yeah. I know from experience. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, attention advertisers. All right. Yeah, and also, yes, F Zubom. All right. Out. Thank you. Bye now. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello? Hello. Hey, well, I was just going to say what that other guy said is they drop off after like five years. If you get one, it's five or seven years. So, so as long why. as you space out your, uh, your irresponsible driving, you'll be okay. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's, that's all okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I love a hopeful audience. All right. Uh, well, let's break, shall we? Let's we'll come back. Tim Riley coming up in a few uh, from the Ministry of Truth and the top five 
Uh, top five songs from October 15th, 1977. The week the Atari 2600 hit the market. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Kimberly public loves mediocrity. You were about to serve it up and he's been helping. It's not our fault. There's nothing I can add to that. Tim really is a master of the phrase. Master of the phrase that sums up everything. This is just mediocre slop. <laughs> Excellent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The polygamy guy was found guilty. Fantastic. F him. So he'll be sentenced in a month or so. <laughs> then here's something weird. You would think that Florida, where people risk their lives, or any of those southern states where they have tornadoes, they would have alarms to alert people. Hey, you're living in Florida. It's not that those crank-up radios help anybody anymore because there are no news people working at night. Sea <laughs> crane radio. Yeah. So you can uh, so you can be hearing a it, Justin Timberlake song. Yeah. You can be hearing sexy back play by an automation system as your home is swept down a river and destroyed. Well, that's why it shocks me. This headline says, Central Florida City is the first in the state to install tornado warning signals. These are like those outdoor alarms they use, like air raids that the Russians are coming, right. that type of thing. Well, they never had these before. Uh, just Nobody ever thought of it. <laughs> that these might save people's lives. Maybe more than that. Something bad is coming. <laughs> Maybe they figure the bar has just been set so high by the fact that they live in Florida. I mean, that would just be the alarm, right? The alarm is just yeah. the thing, you know, the... Oh, God! You know, and it just lets you know that you're still living in the panhandle. We still want them to watch the weather. Well... What help would that be if the power is off? Well, and watch the weather. What do you? I mean, you you choices... and the news media like they're a big help these days. <laughs> Your choices are twofold: watch the television, which you can't do if the weather has destroyed everything, or look out the window. By which point, it's too late because it's black death coming down on you like a thousand plagues. So you know, and the siren should only be used as a last resort. What are the other resorts? What, I was just going to say, what what's like the third resort? So somebody has to make that decision, and more lives will be lost. Nobody ever talks about totally what the glorious. first resort is or, like, the ninth resort. And how many resorts are there before you get to the last one? I mean, is there a comprehensive list of the resorts somewhere? When you see your neighbors double wide, well, ready to fall through your picture window. <laughs> when you see Mrs. Grundy or whoever the school teacher is pedaling her bicycle outside the window. When cows are flying. <laughs> you know to go. Go. Get out. All right. Now, that's it. And, uh... Okay, we're getting very reports saying Keeper Sutherland has been arrested two times before then. Fort, oh, it doesn't matter. He's he's going to go to jail. We think so, anyway. Uh, oh, Amazon MP3 will rival iTunes. How many times have we heard this? So Amazon MP3 has been unveiled today. Uh, they want you to buy their tunes for 89 cents to 99 cents. So they're taking on the big guys, but it'll never last. Well, the thing about Amazon MP3 is that might actually work because I'll tell you why, Tim. All right. Because uh, he says, like a Florida tornado alarm. A skeptical tone of voice. Uh, because, A, Amazon, it all depends on whether they have a deep library. In other words, mm. you know, because there's some of those online music services where it's just the crap they sell is literally crap. I mean, there's just nothing they're, 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 where the selection is very Colin shoddy. Simon. It, oh, I, oops. <laughs> Sean Cassidy. Um, Casey in the sunshine. Puppy <laughs> Boone. This is really funny to Tim and I. That's all that matters. Um... Yeah, but yeah, but you go there. It's just you know, it's just it's just a whole lot of nothing. Um, but uh, you know, the iTunes Store is great because it's got 
um, you know, a massive selection. So if the Amazon selection is big, um, and if I'm sorry, I just opened up. It's vast and endless. And if it'll work on, you know, anything, because like iTunes crap won't work, not iTunes crap, but songs from the iTunes store won't work on my player without some sort of jiggering. So if the if the Amazon.com MP3 school go right into my player and work, that might actually be a viable alternative to iTunes, which is very easy to use. Uh, in fact, uh, well, never mind. We'll see. Uh, some of that. Okay, but I, can I just say what I was distracted by here? Yes. So I went to Amazon.com just to, to look through their music store and... This is what a small pinheaded man I am. So I was immediately distracted. I went to Amazon.com, and Amazon.com, of course, a long time ago, quit just selling books. They, I mean, they haven't just sold books for a decade. They sell you know, books and magazines and, and electronics and, and songs. I and, bought an AC adapter for my laptop. I mean, yeah, they sell all kinds of stuff, including apparently bras. And so right in the middle of a page is like a big picture of a well-endowed woman in a tight-fitting uh, low-cut bra. Right in, the, right in the middle of the page, it just says, bras. And there's a, like a woman going, look at my breasts. You're so simple. Right. Okay. And then, so I'm distracted even now uh, by the, she's not even nude, distracted by the woman in the bra right in the center of the page. And then right above that, guess what they're selling right above the woman in the bra? Cheez-Its. No. But that's a great guess. <laughs> okay. Like, what? Right above it. If I did it, Confessions of the Killer, hardcover put out by the Goldman family. They're oh selling the OJ book right above the picture of the woman with the huge cans. It's the most distracting page in the history of the Internet. It's the OJ book and breasts right next to each other. Um, this I'm looking at this OJ book right here. I, man, I wish I'd seen this before we talked to Roop. I'm going to talk to him about this tomorrow. Um, so I'm looking at this right here. Um, the author is now listed for the purposes of copyright as the Goldman family, and it's no longer... You gotta see this. Come check this out. Well, all right. I don't know if you remember what the original cover was, but now, oh yeah, look at this. Now it says it's just called "I Did It," and the "if" is literally like That's one awesome. one tenth the size of the rest of the words. It says "I Did It," and then the "if" is like so small it can't well, even be seen. Well, it doesn't even look like an "if." It just looks like they made the "i" lowercase. Like it looks like they're dotting the "i." Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then it's called Confessions of the Killer, and then there's a crime scene tape right there, and apparently it's got a foreword or something by the um, by the uh, Goldman family. Hmm. Weird. That is. <laughs> you don't care. I do. Uh, can I tell you, by the way, when I was at the airport bookstores, it uh, several times I was tempted to buy that Anna Nicole Smith uh, book by um, Rita Cosby. So I didn't, but I was tempted to. All right. Uh, well, let's do a couple more here, and then we'll roll the top five. Oh, that's all I had. Okay, let's roll the top five. Right. Done and done, ladies and gentlemen. That's efficiency. That's what that is, right? Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is ecstasy, I love to count, don't you? And it was 30 years ago this fall that the Atari 2600, codenamed Stella, was released, instigating a worldwide video game revolution. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the top five songs from that week, the week of October 15th, 1977, the week that the Atari 2600 was released. With honorable mention, it's Heat Wave and Boogie Nights. Boy, the 70s sucked. Ew. There's nothing good about it. Doesn't it make you feel icky? Just yeah. The, 
Just a whole lot of... Oh, baby. Ah. Look at my chest hair. <laughs> oh, my trinkets are on my neck. <laughs> Trinket. Totally oh, my, just... my trinkets stuck in my chest hair. I can't get them up. <laughs> I mean, this sounds like a parody of the 70s. Look at my tight yellow pants. <laughs> Yes, yes, look at them indeed. <laughs> Let us wallow deep within my shag carpeting. I can't. I have nothing to add to this. I mean, what can I really say? What sort of satiric commentary can I really give to this music? I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's all manner of absurd. This is bad. Yeah, bad. it really is. Bad, bad. All right, counting on the top five songs from October 15th, 1977. Number five is Mika with the Star Wars-themed Cantina Band, the disco version. Now, this is when they took every song imaginable and turned it into disco. Even the disco theme from I Love Lucy came out that Ooh, like year, like techno songs in the yeah. mid-'90s? Yeah, exactly. Where there was, or like, yeah, how there was like a cut, like a boot scootin' boogie, the techno mix. Yeah. Um, they did that. You're right. There was a, um, the, the I Love Lucy disco thing. The Stones did a disco album. Mm-hmm. Kiss did a disco album. There was an Ethel Merman disco mm-hmm. record. I've actually got that one somewhere at home. Walter Murphy's Big Apple Band, all of that. I have this whole album. By People the way. dance to anything, really. Yeah. I have this whole 33, which has the worst cover art. It's like a sexy space woman. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We're in the modern age. <laughs> Listen to the sound of technology. Exactly. Listen to all the future happening there. Um, the cover to this album, this, the whole 33 LP, it features a spaceman and a space woman discoing with each other in their spacesuits. And with the big, the big spherical dome helmet, you know what I mean? Where it's like and at a some point bowl. do they try to kiss, but their fishbowls collide? Well, it's just an album cover, but you have to imagine the rest. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought that was a video. No, no, it's no. There were no videos there, but it's like just the the, spa- the fishbowl space helmet. But then the best part is, her spacesuit, of course, like in her bosom area. It, it, it has like the big Madonna metal cones on the front where her space bosoms go. Her space, her space breasts. Trying to hold back her space, her space bust line. Uh, and everybody was sweating for their polyester clothes. Seriously, it was horrible. Number five is Sean Cassidy. That's rock and roll. Oh, this is the live version. This never gets any better. This top five sucks. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. An island of white suburban girls. Sort of the Johnny drama of his day. Beware any record whose sole selling, uh, whose sole, uh, sole selling virtue is the fact that it comes with a big, like, color poster you can tack up on your wall. I think it was in the Hardy Boys. He was. was Him and who was the other Hardy Boy? Parker Stevens. Well done. I saw an interview with Sean Cassidy years later where he talked about he blamed, as they all do, his producer, and I'm quoting now, for taking him away from the raw music he was playing in the clubs. Mm. God almighty. Counting down the top five songs of the week of October 15th, 1977, and it doesn't get any better. 
It doesn't get any worse than this. Carly Simon, nobody does it better. This is the song oh. that Sporbert no. wanted from Lisa oh, Goddard's wedding song. Wait, hold on. It's just right here. Yeah. Nobody does it better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 70s. Makes me Peel off my velour jumping suit, won't you please? Wash your hair with purple shampoo. <laughs> Let's cover ourselves in pan and slide around on my waterbed. Where's that even from? Please don't say inside your head. It was no, in the movie Kimmy. No, was. it's from the 70s. That's, that's just seven. what that's the sort of thing people said in the 70s. It is a that's a variation on uh God, where is it from? It's a variation on something I read in a book where a guy was talking about something about well, this is from a James. This is from a James Bond movie. Yeah, but I read a I read a horrifying phrase one time about you know it'd be really fun to just pull out the baby oil and get the water bed out or something. It's some some horrible seventies phrase. Yeah. I mean, who says that? Who says pour baby oil on the water bed? Pam seems sort of funnier because it was one syllable. No, baby oil's funnier. Baby oil on the water bed. Because Pam seems like it'd be kind of slidey, but not really. But baby oil <laughs> picture. Shiny mess. Hey, people having sex in phone booths on, on a break with a cup of coffee in their hand. <laughs> hey, baby, let's finish this up. I gotta go uh, collate those farms. Pretty much. Have we all seen this? The baby oil thing is weird. Who wants to? I mean, can I just be real blunt? Who wants to smell like a baby when you're having sex? You know what would make the sex a lot better? One of us smelled like a baby. I don't think baby oil really smells. Baby oil doesn't really smell. I think you're thinking baby powder. Baby oil is just is this, shiny. With, is this made from real baby? <laughs> Are we ready for number two? Yes. This sex would be so much better if it had the aroma of infant. All right. Here are uh, more people wearing white jumpsuits. <laughs> Casey and the Sunshine Band and Keep uh, It Coming, Love. You know, Scotty loves this band. I think they're his favorite band. Uh, they might be. But it's a tush-shaking band. Really? Did you say that? Tush-shaking? Yep. Casey of the Sunshine Band on the music station, AM 970. Almost hit it. WZAZ in Chicago, where disco lives forever. Well, this would have been the kite with Ron Leonard talking this up back then. The kite? Yeah. KYT or something like that? Please stop it now. Please stop it. <laughs> Let's get a call about Sean Cassidy. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, you were saying that uh, that uh, that song uh, didn't come with a video, and I was going to say, I-, I lived through the disco era, and thank God none of that stuff came through on video, really. Oh, it was before MTV. Yeah. No, they oh, made promotional exactly. videos, but they weren't really MTV or anything. You no. got the lipstick on Dick Clark, I believe. Do you remember the Angel's Flight jeans? Angel Flight pants? Yeah. Yeah, it's like what you'd wear with pleather. It was my yeah, pleather yeah. jacket. The Angel Flight and the members only jacket. And Go stand in line for my pet rock. It, it just, you know, kids are, you know, dancing to it now, and oh, this is so kitschy, and I'm like, no, I was there the first time, so. No, it sucks. wasn't any good the first time. Suck right? then, <laughs> sucks now. All right, bye and, now. And number one, we said the best for last. Uh-huh, really, did we? Yeah. Uh-huh. Number one, Hold Debbie on. Boone. Yeah. There you, you go. light up my life. Oh, the live version. I've never heard this before. You light up my life? I'm sure it's a lot different than the uh, recorded version. It's a toe tapper. Maybe the live version. Song. Oh, how could you? Maybe the live version she really lets loose. She burns a bra. I don't think she needs to burn a bra. Or wear one. 
What? I don't know. I know how to play this on the piano. This was number one for nine weeks. It wouldn't go away. No. It played continuously until like 1987 after it came out. I mean, is there any doubt that she's really Pat Boone's daughter? I mean, you could tell that in a taste test. Hey, who's she descended from? Pat Boone. I knew you would like this. I've got to leave the room. You know I've what this song this is? Many times. I figured out what this is. <laughs> Tim's having flashbacks. Debbie Boone. Debbie Boone is the is the Bon. Oh, Debbie, I, let me tell you something. Donnie Boone. Debbie Boone is the Bon Jovi to the Carpenters. Bruce Springsteen. She really is like a knockoff of the Carpenters. I feel the urge to vomit. Oh, you're just being moved. <laughs> yes, my yes, my stomach is being moved into my throat. The contents of my stomach are being moved up into my uh, thorax. All right. Well, we'll let this play for you. I'm leaving the room now. We'll be you back. Live, you can't go anywhere. I'll be back when the song is done. Uh, I'm just going to sit in here by myself. All right, I'm leaving now. Bye. Really? I'll be out here. I guess. Because it, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. Okay. Oh, not yet. Every generation does have their, my heart will go on, I suppose. Did she have any other songs? I'm asking you. I, I thought it was Tim. Yeah, I don't I mean, I, I should be asking Tim because I don't know. I mean, did she have a follow-up? I guess you couldn't have. Could you possibly follow up this song? It really is one of a kind. How long do we uh, start the music? Right now. I knew you'd catch on. I don't know. I just find it perversely amusing. All right, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Terry X. Filling for AM 970, Salisbury, ringing the news from Tim Riley, Scotty J. B.A., Dave Zinn is the gatekeeper. Thank you to uh, Jim Roof, Ed McCarthy, Steve Kastenbaum, Bob Costantini. Tomorrow, Chris Sneathan from OnTheVid.com joins us in the studio. Like us next, Donna Mike at 7. As always, thank you for listening. Don't let the bastards grind it down. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. See you tomorrow. One way to cut out the chances of teenage substance abuse is to eat supper with the kids every evening.